0: No long term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. They boo you because, first of all, you suck. And second of all,
1: go ahead, find it. Go ahead. Oh, wait. out of it. woman say the line. Say the line. The reason why they boo you. The reason why they boo you is because they see right through you. It's because they see right through you. Good boy. It's business time, baby. The Sala Monster sounds off. My client.
2: Mama Monster. Conquered the street. This doesn't make
3: your title belt is made of leather! You're not a real vegan! you fat! Delete!
1: You haven't been beat up properly! Woo! Welcome to episode 511 of the monster Sounds Off, here for Sunday, September 3rd, 2017. I am the monster the first September Sound Off, here for the year. Fall is officially here. Well, not officially, but certainly feels like it outside, at least here in New York it does. I uh, want to say thank you to our good partners over at Audible for uh, supporting the show and all of you guys for supporting the show using our Audible link, audibletrial.com slash Salamonster. I was looking at the, uh, the numbers for the year overall the other day. A lot of you guys have signed up to take advantage of the free trial. 30 days of the Audible service and getting one free audiobook for nothing. Even if you cancel before the trial is over, as you guys well know, you get to keep one free audio book, and you guys have been killing it, so keep on uh, supporting the show and get yourself a free book, for God's sakes. AudibleTrial.com slash is the link to use for that. Uh, I want to send well wishes out to those in Texas and Louisiana. I know we we got people all over the country who listen to this show, and I know there's a, a good number of people down south. Uh, who are feeling the effects of of Hurricane Harvey. And they say that this is already the greatest natural disaster in U.S. history. And the uh, economic impact could end up being greater than that of Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy combined, which is mind-boggling to even think about. Uh, I saw that Paige and Alberto El Patron, to their credit, they're actually renting hotel rooms uh, for families down in Texas where they they live. Uh, People that have lost their homes, which is a very cool thing for them to do. Uh, So you know, Pro Wrestling Tees is running a uh, Labor Day weekend sale right now as we speak. All the stores on the site, including ours... And they're donating a portion of the profits from the sale this weekend to the Houston Food Bank, uh, which is providing relief to a lot of victims from the hurricane. Uh, I will be donating all of the money made off of Sound Off shirt sales this weekend uh, to a combination of uh, the Houston Food Bank and the Houston SPCA, uh, because I I see these images on TV of all the the pets, you know, the cats and the dogs. That they're rescuing from the floodwaters and pulling out of people's homes. Um, and it just, it breaks my heart. You know, animals, animals obviously, they don't exactly have a voice. And I, I think sometimes they're forgotten about in things like this. You think about the human toll, but it, it kind of affects animals you know, just as much. So again, all the money made off SoundOff shirts from this past Friday, which is when the sale started, on through Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, which is when it ends. Uh, I intend to put. To those two causes. If we don't sell a lot of shirts, uh, you know it's been okay so far. But if we end up not selling too many shirts, I'll just I'll be making a donation to each one anyway. Uh, if you do want to take advantage of the sale, it runs like I said through tomorrow. That's Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. You need to use the promo code WORK at checkout. If you don't put that code in there, you will not get the 15% off. Uh, that's good for all shirts in our store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash so off. There is a brand new 10-year anniversary shirt that I just uploaded to the store as we approach the 10-year anniversary, which is officially in November, although I guess we are in the midst of our 10th year right now. Uh, that just went up in the store this week. You can grab that one. You've got the, the, the two different uh, colors of the Mama Monster shirt. 28 other ones are in there to pick from. I know there's a lot of uh, confusion sometimes over what charities to donate to and where. Uh, you know, you want to make sure your, your money is going to where it's supposed to be going. So here's my suggestion. If you want to help out, the website Charity Navigator is a great resource. It's been of great use to me in the past uh, when I've had to look up like different cancer charities and stuff. They, they give you ratings and other information on how reliable uh, many of these charities are. They give you metrics that breakdown by percentage, how much of the money goes to the actual services that they provide, as opposed to like, you know, overhead and administrative costs. Really detailed stuff if you want to know where your money is going. So if you go to their site right now, you're going to see a banner that says Hurricane Relief. Click that link and they're going to give you a list of local charities in uh, the Houston area, Corpus Christi, San Antonio, all those areas that were hit hardest by the storm uh, for you to donate. And, uh, and if, you know, if you've been paying attention to the news, now we've got this storm Irma uh, possibly headed our way here on the East Coast later this week, uh, which is kind of making me a little uh, a little nervous here, but we'll see where that storm ends up going. I, I have a feeling that we're going to be seeing more and more of these monster storms as uh, time goes on. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I don't think I am. So anyway, hopefully that information is, is uh, helpful to the people who want to help. Uh, Last but not least here, before we move on, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to donate via PayPal, which you can do anytime you want to on thesolomonster.com, you'll see the PayPal button on the right-hand side of the page. Uh, $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out here on the show, as you well know. I want to say thank you to John Luzcat and Lopez, Deadpool James Herrera, Beast Mode Brock Joseph, although I must admit I do like Breast Mode better. Uh, I did think about changing it, but we'll we'll stick with Beast Mode. The Dark Serpent, Derek Gibbs. The Florida Free Bird, Brian Becerra. Out of control, Cody Thomas. Uh, Luis Hercules Hernandez. That reminds me. I'm glad you donated this week, Luis, because that kind of dovetails into a quick story I want to tell here. So I was watching uh, an old house show on the uh, WWE Network, I haven't had a lot of time lately to just randomly pull up the network and watch old stuff, which I like to do, and I just haven't done a lot of that lately. So I had some free time and I was like, you know what? I want to see what they've added to the network. To like the, uh, I think it was in the collections section that they have. Um, I had gotten an email from WWE saying they just, I, I thought they just added a collection on like greatest intercontinental title matches, and I went and I couldn't find it. It was nowhere to be found. But I'm looking and I see that they added some old school, like, events to the vault, and one of them was a a house show from Los Angeles in 1988 that had a main event of Hulk Hogan and the Big Boss Man, Uh, and so I said, I gotta watch this. So I'm watching it, and there's a match between Hercules and the Million Dollar Man, and the Million Dollar Man wins, Virgil interferes, whatever, doesn't matter. Point is, first of all, the, the announcing on the show was done by Rod Trongard, which is a name a lot of you may not recognize. He used to be an announcer in the AWA, and I guess when the AWA either went under or was going under in the late 80s, uh, he was, I guess, looking for a job, and Vince hired him. He was terrible. He was a terrible announcer. So it was him and superstar Billy Graham on the call. Okay, So there's the intermission part of the show, and basically Rod Trongard goes to the back, and he leaves Billy Graham all by himself to kind of kill time and talk to us. And every now and then he'll throw it back to a backstage interview. So he throws it back to an interview with Trongard and Hercules after the match. And Trongard is, he's like, I'm here with Hercules Cortez. And I'm thinking to myself, Hercules Cortez? Isn't it Hercules Hernandez? First of all, they weren't even calling him Hercules Hernandez anymore. But I'm like, Hercules Cortez? I had to look this up. There apparently was a Hercules Cortez who did wrestle in the AWA, but he he died like almost 20 years before this. But he says Hercules Cortez, and Hercules is standing there selling the ribs, right, from the match with DiBiase. As soon as he says Hercules Cortez, <laughs> Hercules, he just, he like drops the whole shtick. He starts making the timeout sign. Like you would see the, the, the coaches on the sidelines at a football game. He's going timeout, timeout. guards looking at him, he's kind of like nervously laughing like, uh, What? Hercules is looking at somebody off screen. He probably didn't realize they were on live. He's like, that's not my fucking name. <laughs> he didn't say that, but you could tell, like, the look in his face. He's like, uh. And they just had to continue on with the interview. It was so awkward. And uh, the first thing I did, I sent a, a DM over to Matthew. I said, dude, I don't know if you've used this in the past or not, but this is Botromania worthy here. So I know he's got it. Uh, we'll see if he uses it because I, I found the, uh, the link to the show on YouTube. Somebody uploaded the full show to YouTube. So we'll see if it ends up on uh, Botchamania. It's definitely Botchamania worthy, I'll say that. But uh, yeah, Hercules Cortez. <laughs> like, it's not the guy's name. Anyway, that's a, uh, a little little side story there for you. Sean Nasty Boy Nilsson, thank you very much for the donation. Raymond the Mounty Medina, Mass Grave Micah Harshaw, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, Brian the Cleaver Carpenter, Stephen Handyman Hallistick, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, the main attraction, Jackson Scott, the Malaysian Mastermind, Samuel T., Gabriel the San Diego Beer Snob Solis, Aim for the Head, Andrew Jorlog, the Brooklyn Bombers, Jamel and Isaiah Walker, Ryan the Dagger McTaggart, and the Wilmington Warlord, Tyler Williams. Thank you very much for uh, all of your continued support. Uh, there's a lot to dive into here this week. There's going to be a long show, I have a feeling. Obviously, a lot of you want my thoughts on the John Cena-Roman Reigns segment from Raw last Monday, which I will definitely get into. Uh, as well as my thoughts on the first round of the May Young Classic. I watched all first round uh, episodes, all four shows. I'm all caught up here before the, the second round kicks off this week. We're going to go into that as well, but the first thing I want to address is something I did not talk about last weekend on the show, uh, and that is the sexy star Rosemary situation from that Mania show down in Mexico. I didn't talk about it last week because it had just happened the night before, and as with all things in wrestling, and even more so of late in Triple I think with the whole Johnny Mundo, Vampiro stuff, you know, it's hard to separate shoot from work sometimes, uh, it's very clear now the situation is very much not a work. Sexy Star and Rosemary. Rosemary, obviously, they're representing GFW. Uh, since GFW and AAA have this uh, angle they're doing and this working relationship where it's them against you know the AAA people. They were uh, in a four-way match that also included a lady by the name of Hamada and Lady Shani. This was for Sexy Star's Reina de Reina's Championship. Okay, so it's a it's a four-way match. Now, PW Insider claims that during the match, Sexy Star and Lady Shani started shooting on each other. Apparently, Lady Shani is friends with Taya, who had her title stripped away from her not too long ago, uh, and effectively was handed over to Sexy Star. And that's a very real situation, by the way, despite them turning it into an angle lately with uh, her, her uh, fiancé, Johnny Mundo and Vampiro. Taya has not been back. Uh, to AAA since, so that's a very real, very uh, tense situation there, and Lady Shawnee may have taken it upon herself to uh stiff Sexy Star with some shots here during this match, which if she did, again, not cool, if she's shooting on Sexy Star, you know, because I'm going to go off on Sexy Star here in a second, you just wait, uh, but if that's what happened, again, not cool, but that's, according to them, the backstory to why Sexy Star may have been so upset, um, which doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, whatever the reason. What matters is that Sexy Star took her anger out on Rosemary, who had nothing to do with any of this, put her in an arm bar, she wrenched back on the arm, I saw the video, as I'm sure many of you have, you can hear Rosemary screaming in pain, part of which is, is I'm sure, selling, and part of it is actual <laughs> legitimate pain. Uh, Sexy Star lets go of the arm bar, reapplies the arm bar, the match is already over, and she wrenches back on the arm some more before finally letting go. Rosemary talked about the situation on Twitter. She said, if you take liberties with somebody else's body when they're giving it to you and they're trusting you, you are not tough, you are an asshole. And you do not belong in this business. Uh she said Sexy Star did that at Triple Mania last weekend. Uh, I've remained quiet on social media, but I, you know, and to her credit, she wanted to calm down. She said, I wanted to be more calm before I addressed this whole situation. She was still very angry. She had every right to be, but she waited a few days before she said anything. So she was going on. She was saying Sexy Star is a liar. She was, you know, she, she's, uh, you know, lying. She was forced to apologize and she cooked up some BS excuse, uh, that she didn't know and she's a liar. Flat out, that's what she said. She says, you know if you're torquing someone's arm, which you do. Sexy Star's not, she's not a rookie. She knows what she's doing. So a few days later, Rosemary posted an update uh, saying she's been diagnosed with a strained bicep and a strained tricep. Uh, Doctor won't clear her to come back until the strength in her arm and the range of motion is back to normal. So that you know, the good news is that she's very lucky nothing was torn, and she's not going to need surgery. She's not going to be out for months and months and months. Um, and she had a lot of positive things to say as well. I, I have to say, she handled the situation, I thought, very well, if you go back and, and read her messages. okay? And there were a lot of tweets from people all over the wrestling world coming out in support of her. Cody Rhodes uh, said that Sexy Star will never uh, ever share a locker room on a show that he's on. Road Dog chimed in and said that Sexy Star will never set foot inside a Smackdown live ring. Uh, Gail Kim called it disgusting and unprofessional and said this is how you work yourself out of the wrestling business. Just universal condemnation for what Sexy Star did to Rosemary. And well deserved. Sexy Star is a piece of garbage For what she did. And absolutely 100% should be blackballed for it. That's it. There, there's no <laughs> there's no ambiguity. There's no, well, you know. No. She, she absolutely deserves to be blacklisted from the wrestling business. And that includes Lucha Underground. If there is a season 4, and I'm skeptical of that. But if there is a season 4, she should not be on the show. She has no business being on that show. Already I see WrestleCade... Uh, pulled her from an upcoming appearance. They said there's no place in wrestling for for that kind of thing, and they made the decision not to bring her in for their event. Uh, in fact, I think they replaced her with Rosemary, who's going to be making an appearance. Kudos to Wrestlecade. Hopefully others will follow their lead. I'm sure she already had other bookings lined up. Uh, I haven't checked to see if uh, the status of those has changed, but she should be pulled from every single one of them. You know, this whole situation reminds, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's very similar. It reminds me, and I talked about this on the podcast because it pissed me off at the time. It was disgusting. That incident in stardom, uh, I think last year with uh, Yoshiko. Remember Yoshiko? Beat the crap out of that uh, that woman act, Yasakawa. I think her name was. Basically ended her wrestling career. Uh, took liberties with her, mangled the girl's face. I mean, her face was so swollen, she looked like an alien when that thing was over. Uh, she too should have been blacklisted from the business, but that didn't happen. In fact, not only was she back wrestling again, uh, not too long after she was invited to do MMA fights. And I think she's actually done a couple of them, which is very messed up. And it would be very, you know, equally messed up for anybody to bring this woman in to wrestle on their show. I I never got the appeal with her to begin with. It's not like she's this outstanding performer, who we absolutely must have on our shows, and well, you know, she made a mistake and we can overlook this. Bullshit. Get rid of her. She wants to go box, right? Her husband, I think, is a boxer. She did a boxing fight not too long ago. She claimed that she was leaving the wrestling business. She was going to retire. It's too bad she didn't. Good. I say boxing can have her. That's the perfect place for her. Maybe somebody can knock some sense into her there. But she should never be allowed to set foot in a wrestling ring again. And how bad does that make AAA look? They screwed Taya out of out of the title by by stripping her of the belt. And I mean, again, forget the fact it's a it's a wrestling belt, right? It's a fake belt. You got to read up on the whole situation. That's a whole shady situation that went down a couple of months ago with with Taya. And then Sexy came back and they gave her the championship. It was basically, you know. <laughs> It was like their version, in a way, of the Wendy Richter spider lady screw job with Moolah. So they screwed Taya out of the belt to give it to this woman, only for her to turn around and do what she did to Rosemary. GFW put a statement out a few days later on their website saying that AAA executives have told them that appropriate measures are being taken with respect to Sexy Star, but they don't specify what those measures are. So those words ring hollow unless AAA comes out and says, we have done this. We have taken this action. If, if AAA doesn't at the very least strip her of the championship and suspend her, then they're as complicit in this as she is. She should be stripped and fired. Period. End of story. It's a week later now, and neither of those things have happened. That doesn't speak very highly of that company. And now GFW is teasing for their show for, for Impact this Thursday. They put like a 30-second teaser on their YouTube channel with highlights from the event and from the match, and they saw Jeff Jarrett in the back getting all animated about what happened. And, you know, they tell PW Insider checked into it, and, you know, I think it was Mike Johnson who said there's three or four different people in the company who said, no, 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 we're not turning this into an angle, we're not bringing in Sexy Star, we're not going to give her a payday. You know what? <laughs> Be skeptical. Be skeptical. If, if they're going to air footage of what happened on Thursday, just to pop a rating and they're going to absolutely bury Sexy Star, then fine. Let them pop a rating, bury Sexy Star all you want to. But if they turn this into an angle, then I'm sorry, they deserve all the blowback they get for it. I know, uh, again, the claim is that, no, 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 we're not going to do that, we're not going to do that, but I'll believe it when I see it. And for those of you thinking that Sexy Star, well, she must be very sorry, she's out apologizing, she feels remorse for what she did... She was on TV down in Mexico a few days ago talking about the incident and the big takeaway from the interview wasn't an apology, it wasn't an explanation for what happened, it was that she is not convinced that Rosemary is actually hurt. I did what I had to do, she said. It's as though she went into the interview thinking, how can I make myself look like even more of an asshole? Mission accomplished. Let's switch gears here talk about Raw. ...from last Monday, which was a, uh, a newsworthy show. Over 2,500 votes in our Twitter poll: 63% thumbs up, 37% thumbs down. I thought the key stuff on the show was actually very good. Uh, I enjoyed the Battle Royal, which which had a, a surprise finish I didn't see coming. Uh, we got Brock Lesnar, man, a few words, uh, but those words are, are always very effective when he does speak. Uh, the John Cena, Roman Reign stuff was uh, certainly entertaining... And I enjoyed the Randy Orton Evolution finish with Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax at the end of the show. I thought it was well executed, even if it was just rehashing something that we've already seen before. Um, so all the key stuff was good. Everything else I had no use for. I mean, that's always going to be a problem with this show no matter what. It's just way too long, and because you have a long show, you have a lot of filler. And, you know, not not everybody can uh, sit through three hours of, uh, <laughs> you know, where, where half the show is filler, but the key stuff was good. Uh, The Miz and Kurt Angle, you know, that was what opened the show. It led to a battle royal. There's a 15-man battle royal that was announced, uh, with the winner meeting The Miz uh, tomorrow night, in fact, for the Intercontinental title on Raw. The Big Show came out for this battle royal, a clean-shaven Big Show, looking 20 years younger. If if, if he still had that lion's mane on his head, he'd look exactly the same as he did back in the NWO days. Uh, Finn Balor was in the battle royal as well, Matt and Jeff Hardy, Anderson and Gallows, uh, both members of Mrs. Entourage, Jason Jordan, the Drifter, Goldust, R-Truth, Apollo Cruz, Callisto, and Kurt Hawkins, who was immediately dumped out. Uh, it's so poetic. This guy is a uh, is a Mets fan. You may as well Photoshop a Mets logo on his head as he got dumped out of that ring. Uh, that'd be a nice metaphor for our season. Uh, and by the way, in the time it took me to say that, I believe two more Mets have been injured. So just a little update there for you. Balor gave the assist to Anderson and Gallows in eliminating the big show. And all three men then are standing there and they have a stare down, teasing that, you know, maybe we're gonna get a little a little bullet club reunion here. But it got broken up. It made me very sad though, they were standing there teasing uh, you know, like a like a too sweet moment, and got no reaction from the crowd. <laughs> like they just got no reaction actually where were they this week they were in uh, they were in memphis so you know look they have mentioned even here on commentary michael cole i think it was mentioned that there's a history between these three but it's not as though wwe has done a damn thing on their own show to document that history or to really like let people know that hey these guys used to be you know partners or stablemates or or traveling buddies or whatever so i would i wouldn't think most of the wwe crowd would even know about it but uh, still made me very sad. Jeff Hardy and uh, Finn Balor had a stare down. And they got into it, which got people excited. Then the lights went out. And when they came back on, Bray Wyatt was in the ring. He grabbed Balor. He tossed him out to the floor. Lights went out. Came back on. Wyatt was gone. Came down to Jeff Hardy, Jason Jordan, The Drifter, Bo Dallas, and Curtis Axel. Jordan dumped out Dallas and Axel on his own. Drifter tried to eliminate Jordan, but Jordan uh, reversed it threw out The Drifter. And then Jeff Hardy snuck up behind Jason Jordan, dumped him out of the ring, and got a huge reaction for it. I did not see that finish coming. So it will be Jeff Hardy, who just celebrated his 40th birthday this past week, if you don't feel uh, old enough, challenging Miz tomorrow night for the Intercontinental title. One thing they've been doing the last couple of months uh, that I like, that they traditionally have not done... Well, well, traditionally they used to, if you go back many, many years, but in in recent years they really haven't done this much, is hyping up matches a week in advance. Uh, They need to keep doing that. You know, football's coming back in the next couple of weeks, and so they have to uh, let people know in advance, like, hey, you should watch the show next week because we've got this and we've got that and we've got this person showing up. So I think that's something we're probably going to see more of. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman came out for a promo. Braun Strowman was not on this show. Uh, He will be on the show tomorrow night. In fact, he's going to be in a steel cage match against the Big Show. Uh, And when I interviewed Strowman at the 2K18 event, he had said that Big Show was like his big mentor backstage. And there's like an inside joke that, you know, Big Big Show is his wrestling dad and he's Big Show's wrestling son. And he made another comment. He said, you know, me and Big Show, we're the last of a dying breed. There are no more men like us, he said. And he's not wrong. I mean, when I look at the roster and I think of of who they have, I can't think of too many people like him or like The Big Show. So, you know, look, they've had a couple of good matches before. I don't know what the purpose of the match is other than it's Labor Day and they don't expect a big audience and so they want to have a cage match and so let's take our two big giants because people like big giants wrestling and we'll put them in a cage. I literally think that is the only reason that they're doing this. Uh, that, and I would have to think that they're going to make Strowman just look like an absolute beast, uh, to really build him up for that match with Brock. So we've seen these two guys in the ring, collapse the ring. And I'm already thinking like, well, what can they do here? Maybe they'll gimmick the cage where Strowman will like throw Big Show into the side of it and it'll, it'll collapse. I mean, that's a day, that's a dangerous spot to do, but we've seen them do that before. Uh, I think it, m- it might've been like with Bobby Lashley and, and Umaga maybe, Actually, Big Show might have been in that match, now that I think about it. Yeah, that might have been... I'm trying to think now, if that was an ECW. I know there was a cage match where somebody got thrown into the side of the cage, and the whole panel just sort of collapsed. Uh, And I vaguely think Big Show might have had something to do with that match. But anyway, that's what they're doing. Tomorrow night, we're going to get a cage match. Uh, Heyman was out there heaping praise on Strowman. Brock grabbed the mic out of his hands. He's like... What he's trying to say is, suplex city, bitch. And with that came the mic drop and Brock Lesnar's workday was over. That's all he needed to say. It was perfect. The less said when Brock has the mic in his hand, the better. Some of you have asked me, you know, what do you think is going on last? Which match is going on last at No Mercy? To me, it's simple. It has to be the universal title match. Period. End of story. That's it. If Lesnar is on the card, he is the main event. And I know they put Roman Reigns and The Undertaker on as the main event at WrestleMania this year and not Brock. Um, I'm sure part of that was, well, it's not even part of that was the length of the Brock match. It was because of what they had planned with The Undertaker. They had to do the Undertaker retirement tease at the end of the show. That's probably the only reason why they put that match on last. Here, you have two main event caliber matches. You have a double main event here on this show. You have one match that a lot of people probably don't care to see between two guys they don't like very much, okay? And the other is a match that almost everybody, I think, wants to see. It's a no-brainer what match goes on last. Cesaro pinned Seth Rollins, which, of course, meant that in the very next match, Dean Ambrose had to pin Sheamus. Um, by the way, that uh, the story of the burn-it-down thing and why the whole burn-it-down sound effect was added to seth's theme song is the most vince mcmahon story of all the vince mcmahon stories i've heard so if you if you haven't heard it rollins was on uh i think it was sam roberts podcast and he asked him why did they make the change to the song now this is coming directly from rollins so you would think he would know right it's his theme song he said one day he just showed up to tv and they told him we have to do something with your music And Rollins just goes, well, why? What's wrong with my music the way it is now? I've had the same theme song for the last three years. All of a sudden, it has to be changed. And their response was, Vince doesn't like the pause. Rollins has that pause after the initial, uh, you know, little salvo at the beginning of his song. And I guess Vince McMahon, after three years of listening to it, decided that the pause has to die. Right? It's got to die. It's got to go. Like a last name. It was annoying him. So they they played a bunch of different songs for him. Not songs, but like things to insert, and Rollins really didn't like any of them. Finally, he settled on the Burn It Down thing, and it worked out because the whole Burn It Down uh, is part of his merchandise, it's on his t-shirts, and it, it fits. I don't mind it. I mean, some people were really bothered by it. I mean, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, it's the same song. It's It's a two-second little addition to it. It's not a big deal. Uh, but the idea that just out of the blue, all these years later, they actually sent someone or somebody had to go find Seth Rollins and pull him aside and say, look, Vince doesn't like the pause. We have to do something. Just what a weird human being Vince McMahon is. I think we already knew that, but it's stories like that that really just drive home the point. Speaking of changing people's theme songs, here's a change for the worse. They get, they've given uh, Emma new music. Now who knows, right? Maybe it's a sign that she'll suddenly go on some kind of winning streak. She she did finally pick up a win on this show. She pinned Mickey James. It was a completely dead match. Nobody cared about it. But flat out, I mean her new theme sucks. It's it's awful. Even uh, CFO money, right? They've been doing a lot of the theme songs over the last few years. They came out on Twitter and they said, "We didn't do it. <laughs> we didn't work on that song." I don't blame them for not wanting to be associated with it, but I just thought it was funny. that I'm sure people were tweeting them saying, this song sucks, CFO Money sucks, and they were like, look, dudes, it's not our song, don't look at us. Um, Emma has also started going on and on and on about how she started the Divas Revolution. She kept repeating it over and over and over again after she won as she was walking up the ramp. Someone needs to inform Emma that, you know, she didn't start the Divas Revolution. That was Total Divas that did that. I know this because Nikki Bella told me. So, uh, I'm guessing that, and this is just me, I'm guessing that her suddenly claiming credit for starting the Divas Revolution, because it was just weird, like, all of a sudden on this show she's repeating it like an idiot savant over and over and over and over again, and I assume that this is being done as a way to bring back Paige... Uh, and they could do a a feud between Paige and Emma. Uh, So, you know, it accomplishes, you know, giving Paige something to do in coming back, and it's probably an easy win for her, because I don't believe for a second they're suddenly pushing Emma. Uh, They're probably, you know, maybe they're going to build her up a little bit until Paige comes back, and then it'll be an easy win for Paige. Again, this is just my own thought. This is not anything that uh, has been reported or is official or anything, but we know Paige has been cleared, or at least that seems to be the case, from her neck injury. She's probably able to come back any week now and I guess the story might be look Paige was in that same match you know the match that Emma's referring to is the match that she and Paige had at that very first you know the NXT arrival show on the network back in 2014 they had a great match on that show uh it had been the best WWE women's match in years and you know the I guess the idea here is that look takes two to tango Emma was not the only one in that match Paige was in that match too
2: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No
1: purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then there was the John Cena Roman Reigns contract signing for No Mercy. Just like that. Poof. Cena makes one appearance on Raw, his first appearance in over a year, and literally the very next week, we're having a contract signing for for really what is one of the biggest matches that this company can put together. This is one of the biggest matches they could possibly do with their two biggest stars. Now, according to PW Insider, the planned main event for Raw last Monday was supposed to be John Cena against Samoa Joe. Another big match with no build. I sense a trend here. That went out the window because Joe hurt his knee at a live event last weekend. It's not believed to be serious. Uh, It's going to probably keep him out anywhere from four to six weeks. Uh, Four to six weeks, a hell of a lot better than four to six months. And it may have been honestly a blessing in disguise. I know that John Cena, has I've seen the results. He's been beating Joe at all the house shows. You know, the way I see it, nothing positive could have come from doing that match last Monday, at least not for Samoa Joe. So, again, a little silver lining in the dark cloud here that is uh, Joe's knee injury, is that now we get to uh, put some distance between the eventual match and and where we are now. There's no reason to rush all these matches. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking, you know. uh, They must really think that Cena just is not going to be around for a long, long time. I know he's got movie projects and TV shows and stuff, but... It's, it feels to me like they're just blowing off every big John Cena match now while they still can. And I'm wondering, like, what the hell are they going to have left for WrestleMania? What are they going to have left for next year? You know, we got Cena and Nakamura. They were going to do Cena and Joe. Now we're getting Cena and Reigns. It's like, what's left? Well, there actually is one match left. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But let's uh, let's start here. So we had this contract signing. This was less of a contract signing and more of a verbal assassination of Roman Reigns. At the hands, uh, or I guess mouth as it were, of John Cena. Roman Reigns was simply outclassed by John Cena on the microphone here in this segment. He did get off some good lines. I'll give him that. But man, was he out of his league. That was the one big takeaway when this thing was over. It was, boy, boy was this guy out of his league. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining in like a car crash kind of way. All these guys using inside references and quote-unquote, shooting on each other, and I'm sure some of this went completely over the heads of the people in the crowd. But, you know, even to the people in the crowd who probably uh, were not hip to some of these references, and I'm, I think most of them probably were, but a lot of them weren't, but you almost don't have to be, because, you know, you're making these these comments and other people are going, ooh, and so everybody else is like, oh man, this, this feels real. I'm sure that's what they were going for here, and it worked. I thought it was very effective in that way but i was just i was gobsmacked that they would send roman reigns out there against cena in a work shoot like that thinking that he would be able to hang with him i mean that's like that's like sending roman reigns out there to a gunfight with a knife in his hand if it was a swiss army knife very few people can verbally joust with john cena in that type of environment cm punk comes to mind The Rock. Okay, the problem is, Roman Reigns, he ain't CM Punk. He's not The Rock. And yet, this is their guy. They did this with their guy. Their heir apparent. This is the guy who's going to wrestle Brock Lesnar, more than likely, in next year's WrestleMania main event. His fourth straight WrestleMania main event. And the best comeback that they could script for this guy was to call Cena a fake-ass bitch. They actually scripted that entire thing out, apparently, save for the uh, one part where Reigns forgot his line and John Cena improvised and promptly buried him. <laughs> uh, so it's not as though it's not like these, like Vince and all of them, didn't know what these guys were going to say, and and there were some pot shots in there that just really hit a little too close to home, especially if you're a Roman Reigns fan. Now, me personally, I happen to like it when they mix a little bit of reality uh, into their storylines. I guess I was just surprised that they would put their their guy out there to be exposed like that, just the hype of pay-per-view match. Because this segment, believe me, people are not going to forget about this segment for a long time. This segment is going to live on for a very long time in people's minds. And when Reigns beats Cena, and I believe he will, or he beats Brock Lesnar, which I'm sure he will, a lot of these criticisms that were laid bare here in the segment, these are going to continue to resonate. And I just think that it makes it that much harder for Reigns to, you know, overcome all of the shit that he needs to overcome in order for people to finally buy into him in that top spot. And that may never happen. Maybe maybe that's just a pipe dream. It's just not going to happen. But this made that a lot harder, I thought. And, you know, Cena can talk crap about The Rock uh, being a part-timer and all that. But you know, The Rock can give it right back to... And by the way, what a hypocrite John Cena comes off as being here in this segment. I mean, really, they both came off like a bunch of babbling hypocrites. Someone asked me on Twitter, they're like, who are you rooting for in the match at No Mercy? I'm not rooting for either one of these guys. I've got no dog in this fight. They both come off as completely unlikable to me. I hope they destroy each other. I've had conversations with people about like our favorite TV shows. And, and I put The Sopranos up there, not as my, my number one favorite, but it's definitely in the top three. Sopranos was a great show. But if you really look at the characters on that show, it's like, who is your favorite character? You know, I guess Paulie Walnuts, because he was entertaining. But like I can't say that anybody was my favorite. Every single person on that show was completely deplorable. <laughs> How could you get behind anybody on that show? Right? I can't get behind either one of these guys. But it did make for great television. So those 15 minutes were very fun to watch. One thing that caught my attention, and I have to think this is leading somewhere. And this goes to what I was getting at before about the one big match that kind of is left for John Cena. Was the mentions of The Undertaker. First we had Roman Reigns calling uh, or telling Cena that something I've done that you'll never be able to do. Is retire The Undertaker at Wrestlemania. That's his new go-to line. He said this a few times already. Now, remember my answer. Somebody sent a mailbag question in about a month or so ago, or a few months ago, asking about The Undertaker, and I just said, he's not done. He should be, but we have not seen the last of The Undertaker inside the ring. Well, now more than ever, I am convinced that he is coming back, and it may not be against Roman Reigns, or if it is... He may be coming back for more than just that one match. And the reason I say that is, it has to do with what John Cena said here about The Undertaker. He downplayed Roman's win over The Undertaker by referring to The Undertaker as a battered veteran at the end of his career with a bad hip. Which is true. Okay, he is a battered veteran with a bad hip. Two bad hips, in fact. But the way he said it, it came across like almost as a dig at The Undertaker. Even if it wasn't intended that way, that's how it came off. And so what if the plan is for The Undertaker to come back and go after John Cena for disrespecting him? That could have been a little tiny seed that was planted. Remember, Cena against The Undertaker is is kind of the one, I guess aside from Sting and The Undertaker, That's the one WrestleMania match that got away, that we never did get, that was planned at least once, if not multiple times. In fact, originally it was supposedly planned for this year's WrestleMania, before plans changed and they decided to put Reigns in there with The Undertaker and and have uh, John Cena propose to Nikki Bella. I think that comment was there for a reason, and that's because The Undertaker is not dead yet, despite Roman Reigns uh, proclaiming it so every week on TV. Cena dropped a reference to people wanting to see him turn heel. Um and this wasn't one of those like cute little stupid things that he sometimes does, like that one time he did that he actually turned physically turned his heel in the ring. Oh see, I'm turning heel, I'm turning heel. This was just a straight up like (laughs) hey, this is fake, and I know all you people want to see me turn into a bad guy. Uh he said that he's breaking the fourth wall. He did everything but say hi cult cabana here in this segment. Cena says people look at Reigns, they see a cheap-ass, corporately-created John Cena bootleg. He said Roman isn't the guy, he's a guy, he's desperately trying to fill shoes that he can never fill. Uh, At one point, Cena tried to explain to him that he, uh, being Cena, can't possibly bury people because we, the fans, are the ones who hold the keys. That was one of the funniest lines that I've heard in a long-ass... That was the funniest line of the whole segment. Not not to say that John Cena, oh, he buries people all the time. But the idea that the fans are the ones who dictate who stays on top and who goes down. Uh, he keeps he keeps this up. John Cena can join Nikki Bella on the stand-up comedy circuit. That was funny. So, Rain said the fans boo Cena because he sucks. That was a weird line, given that the fans boo Roman just as hard, if not harder, than they boo Cena lately. Uh, he was about to say something else, but poor guy forgot his line. Cena saw this. And his first instinct was not to help him. His first instinct was to just pounce like like, like a shark tasting blood. He said, go ahead. Go ahead and find it. I'll wait. He says, it's called a promo, kid. If you want to be the big dog, you're going to have to learn how to do one. And it's a weird thing with Reigns because he's a top guy. And yet I can't ever imagine them putting somebody like a Randy Orton in this position or... Like John Cena pouncing on a Randy Orton. The way that he did Roman here for forgetting his lines. Orton forgot his line once. He even walked up to Sheamus in the middle of the ring and asked him, Hey, what's my line? People, it happens. It's not exclusive to Roman Reigns. But man, that was embarrassing. Reigns finally remembered what he was supposed to say. He called Cena a yes man. He called him a phony. Called him a fake bitch. Then he called him a part-timing fake-ass bitch. He mentioned him having a big shovel, which he mispronounced and said shuffle. (laughs) Uh, So he's got, you got a shovel that you use to bury as much young talent as you can. That's how you stay on top. I don't need to be the next John Cena when I can be the one and only Roman Reigns, which I thought was a good line. Um... You know, honestly, after he forgot his line and Cena mocked him for it, it almost seemed to motivate Reigns. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if that legitimately pissed him off. And he he got better after that. Uh, he told Cena, I'm the one guy you can't bury. So, I feel like we may soon be testing my good son movie analogy that I used last week. <laughs> I, I feel like we're going to be testing that theory out soon. Cena mentioned the uh, the U.S. title. And being honored to hold it this late in his career and help uh, you know, elevate younger talent like Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. Uh, I'm not sure what AJ had to do with him being the US champion, but it sounds nice because he did put AJ over at SummerSlam. Um, in fact, I think AJ beat him three straight times. He claimed that when Roman won the title, he took it as a demotion, which Reigns seemed to take great offense to. You know, when Roman used to walk out with that U.S. title, if you remember, he would hang it over his shoulder behind him, not in front of him. And I can remember one episode of Raw where, uh, I think it may have been Mick Foley, was standing in the ring, Roman was probably in the middle of a promo with somebody, Foley is standing there like as the moderator almost, and Foley actually reached over and adjusted it for him. He actually fixed the belt so that the title was was front-facing, uh, almost like he felt Roman was disrespecting the belt or something. You know, it was just one of those little things, but like in the moment, it made it seem like he was, you know, taking issue with Roman not showing respect for the belt. Um, I still remember that. That that's still that's still not as bad as Diesel. Okay, literally dragging the the WWF title on the ground as he walks to the ring. Okay, he did that a lot too. So, but the uh, the sickest burn though of the entire segment, the fatal blow from John Cena, I thought, came at the end. When he told Reigns, I'm still here because you can't do your job. Ouch. That stung. That, whoever Whoever came up with that one, kudos to them. Because that one, that was the death blow right there. That was just brutal. And he followed that up with, you should be ashamed that I can do this better part-time than you could ever do it full-time. Those two parting shots, I thought, were his most damning. And Roman had no comeback for it. It was like he was stunned. Uh, Or, you know, he wasn't scripted to. But, like, again, that's what kind of puzzles me. It's like he just stood there. He just, he stood there and he took it. Uh, I'm still waiting for him to deliver the knockout blow. We still have three weeks to go. Uh, Rain still has time to deliver a, a worthy receipt on the mic. But Cena showed here, I thought, why he is just on another level from everybody else. And Reigns has a lot of catching up to do. And maybe one day he will. Uh, But I thought that, you know, even with the good lines here and there that he had, he was completely exposed here in this segment. Uh, Kurt Angle immediately followed this up by making a tag team match with John Cena and Roman Reigns as unwilling partners against Anderson and Gallows. This was really stupid. I gotta tell you, this was so dumb. I don't know, why did they do this on this show? Why didn't they save it for this this Monday? Like, you had this great segment. The fans are like, ooh, really into it. These guys really hate each other. It's all tense. What's gonna happen? Reigns flipped the table over at the end. It looked like they were gonna come to blows. And then, Anderson and Gallows, who already wrestled earlier in the show, they were already out there. They were in the Battle royal. And then they do what they always do, which is the cliched unwilling partners tag team match. You know, it's not like I didn't expect them to do it. But why did they have to follow that segment up on the same show with this? I don't understand that at all. I don't know why they didn't save that for another week. Of course, Cena and Reigns won. They hit their finishes at the same time. Uh, So it is what it is. But I just, I was very surprised to see that here on this show. Uh, The women got the main event spot with Sasha Banks defending her newly won Raw Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss. Alexa pointed out that after winning the title four times, Sasha had yet to successfully defend her title even once. Not one successful title defense in four reigns, if you can call them that, for Sasha Banks. Well, the streak lives on. They changed the title yet again here. Alexa beat her clean. Someone, uh, I think it was in our group, posted that not only has Sasha lost every single time she has won the championship and and defended it that first time, but they were all clean losses. I don't know if that... I didn't go back and check if that's true or not, but that makes it even worse. Especially when she's supposed to be the babyface. She's the babyface, and here you have the heel pointing out, hey, you're a loser, (laughs) because you can't... you just can't hold on to your championship, and so what happens? She defends it in her first match, and she loses it. And she loses it clean. Hello,
3: it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil.
2: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No interference. No foreign objects. No distractions or anything like that. Uh, Alexa sent Sasha face first into the top rope. And... She grabbed her and she planted her with a DDT for the win. At least the DDT is finally getting some more respect after all these years of of being nothing more than a, you know, like a glorified setup move. Now we have Alexa here using it for the finish. Uh, Dean Ambrose using a, a DDT variation for his finish. Bobby Roode using an implant DDT for his finish. Andrade Cien Almas in NXT using a hammerlock DDT for his finish. So the rise and the fall and the rise again of the DDT. It should make Jake the Snake very proud. Nia Jax came down to the ring when it was over to celebrate with her her best friend, Alexa. And she... (laughs) So she comes down. Sasha, as if Sasha didn't look bad enough in all this. Sasha's like barely getting back up to her feet in the corner. And Nia sees this. And she just charges into the corner and gives Sasha an avalanche. And that was the last we saw of Sasha Banks. Uh, Nia hoisted Alexa up onto her shoulders to celebrate, and then she fell backwards with the electric chair, just like Batista did when he dumped Randy Orton. And they booted him out of Evolution all those years ago. Nia posed with the title to end the show. I am by no means a fan of Nia Jax winning the championship, but I thought the post-match stuff here was well done. The only way I would endorse a Nia Jax uh, title run... Is if they send Asuka to Raw, and they're just doing this to give Asuka like a real challenge as like a first opponent to beat for the championship after she debuts. I would accept that. That I would accept. As far as Sasha Banks goes, you know, if if the final destination here is a heel turn, I feel like we've been talking about this for so long and it seemed like we were going in that direction just some of the i don't know the way she was acting around Bailey it, it almost just screamed like hey Bailey watch your ass and then Bailey got hurt <clears throat> maybe maybe it sort of delayed things a little bit i don't know but if she's going to turn then you know what that that's fine but if not uh i don't think this does her any favors at all it's it's like calling out somebody because they can't win the big one and then they failed to win the big one in Sasha's case she won the big one she won the big one four times, but she could never hold on to it. You know, if, if she if she super glues that shit to her hands, that may be the only way she'll ever be able to hold on to that title. Now, I heard the interview that she did on Sam Roberts' podcast that dropped this week, which I know has been the cause of uh, a lot of conversation. And I'm not going to get into all this stuff. You know, Sasha talked about creepy fans stalking her at the airport and, and stuff like that. And she's right on a lot of that stuff. I mean, she told the story about people who apparently called the airport and gave her real name, and were saying, oh, when does she land? Like, who does that, right? Creepy bastards. That's, that's the kind of people who do that sort of thing. So, uh, look, I, I I have a lot of sympathy for her when it comes to that. How she treats her fans in other situations, I, I don't know. um, But I'm not interested in talking about that. What caught my eye was she did this interview. She gave this interview right before SummerSlam. So this would have been before she won the title and lost it again. And she admitted that she doesn't really understand why they keep having her win the title only to take it away from her. She says it really kills her confidence because she doesn't know if they either just don't see her as a champion or if they just feel like flipping the title a bunch of times to make things less predictable. But the one takeaway is that it absolutely does bother her. Uh, She made another comment which I'm sure will get people talking, she said part of the reason it bothers her is because she wants to go down as the greatest women's champion of all time. Because, and this is exactly what she said, because she's already going down as the greatest women's wrestler of all time. That's quite the statement. And it's great to be confident ...in yourself... ...and she's... ...look, she has a shot at being the greatest... ...she's only 25... ...Sasha Banks is really good... ...and she's only 25... ...so 10 years from now... ...we may be talking about her as the greatest of all time... ...who knows... ...but when she makes comments like that... ...I could see that rubbing people the wrong way... ...like people in the company... ...I could see that rubbing people the wrong way... ...I'm not saying that that necessarily... ...has anything to do with her constantly winning... ...and then immediately losing... But she may be a little too honest for her own good. Or a little too vocal for her own good when it comes to stuff like this. Um, in the same interview, she was parroting uh, what a lot of fans uh, were saying leading up to SummerSlam. Myself included here on this show. That you know, she thought the match that made sense for SummerSlam was her and Alexa. <laughs> that was the match she expected in the beginning. Uh, not Alexa and Bailey. And she could not understand why she had to wrestle Bayley on that one Raw show for, you know, to determine who would be the number one contender. Because the last time that she was in the ring with Alexa was Great Balls of Fire and Alexa ran away. And so Sasha Banks made the cardinal sin here of applying common sense and saying, well, shouldn't I get another championship match? She she didn't think that made any sense. (laughs) I mean, to a T. That's exactly what I was saying here on this show. But I I wonder, you know, when she makes comments like this, does she have enough clout to say these things out loud like that without them humbling her somehow? Time will tell. Uh, Smackdown Live Twitter poll. We had uh, over 1,800 of you vote. 53% thumbs up, 47% thumbs down. So, more positive than negative, but... Raw, again, beats uh, SmackDown, at least in terms of uh, what you guys thought. SmackDown got a little more tolerable this week after JBL announced in a tweet on Friday for the four of you left who haven't been blocked by him, who can actually read his tweets, that he is stepping down from his role as the uh, SmackDown color commentator. He's leaving, he says, to spend more time working with at-risk kids, which he's been doing down in Bermuda now for a number of years. He says he's still going to be appearing on special shows like WrestleMania in Tribute to the Troops, which he pointed out was my idea many years ago. Uh, he's just not going to be there as the week-to-week announcer anymore. And all I have to say to that is hallelujah. It's about damn time. This is a win-win situation for everybody. He gets to work closer with his charitable stuff and help a lot of kids who need to be helped, which is a noble thing for him to do. I give him a lot of credit for that, okay? So he gets to do that, which is which is great, and we get spared having to listen to him on commentary every week. It's a win-win situation. The truth is, he has been awful for a while now. And I at the beginning his voice was almost like a breath of fresh air. But that goes back to a period where the commentary was just not good at all. So when he came back to the company, um, you know, I guess it would have been 2012, I think it was. um, I was a big proponent of his and I was a big fan of his. And You could tell like over time whether it was just Vince getting in his ear or I don't know what it was. But he got increasingly uh, annoying and talking over people and just a terrible announcer. A detriment even to the show so this improves Smackdown automatically by by booting him out of there or I guess not booting him but you know he's voluntarily stepping back uh but thank God for that but I do find it odd though this this comes only a few months after all the stuff with Mauro Ranallo that big controversy I mean he's been back with the company like I said for you know about five years now I think he's been he's been there he suddenly finds himself in the middle of this big controversy six months ago, and now he steps back after being back for five years. Now he steps back. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to dabble in uh, conspiracy theories here. I just. I find the timing a bit odd. But he wants to help kids. I can't find fault with that. Good for him. I assume the change is immediate, unless they want to give him some kind of send off on Tuesday. So the question now becomes. Uh, you know, who do they replace him with? Because you know WWE ain't going to stand for having a two-man booth. I mean, that's just not going to happen, right? Not not for longer than a week. Maybe for one week they would do that. Uh, But you just know they want that third person in there. The first name that pops up in my head, I hate to say it, is David Otunga. Only because he'd be the obvious choice. Because he kind of got screwed out of the job on Raw. uh, Which I'm not unhappy about. I think Booker T is far better than David Otunga. But it was only supposed to be temporary. The guy went away for six weeks. I think it may have turned into like eight weeks or whatever to film a movie role. The plan was always for him to come back. And, you know, look, in wrestling, whether you're an announcer, you're a wrestler, you step away, you're out with an injury, you go film a movie, somebody else takes your spot, shit happens, right? that's, That's how it works. So I could see them being like, well, a spot just opened up. Let's put Otunga back in the booth. I hope they don't do that but I have a a horrible feeling they might. Uh, There's Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler actually was back replacing Booker T on Monday because Booker was down in Houston dealing with the floods and the hurricane and everything, and so they had Lawler fill in for Booker, and by all accounts, Vince was very happy with the job that Lawler did. Uh, So who knows? There is another option that kind of intrigues me. I'm not completely sold on it, but I'm open to it. There is a petition that somebody online started because that's what people do now. They start petitions for everything, and so... There's an online petition to get Renee Young to be the new uh, announcer. Not not play-by-play, but just to take JBL's spot in the booth on SmackDown. I think the Mae Young Classic was the right place to give Renee a shot on commentary, honestly, and they didn't do that. I think that was a mistake. The fact is, we don't know how good she would even be in the role, and to just thrust her into doing something that she's only done a handful of times before on NXT... And that was years ago when they, when they had her doing commentary. I don't know how wise that is. But look, I mean, it would be different. It would give SmackDown a chance to say, hey, here's something else that sets us apart from Monday Night Raw. We have a, a female voice, a female perspective now in the announce booth. You know, I guess the thing I would, what I think would make the most sense would be unless they have somebody better. I'm all for putting the best person in that spot. Renee Young would not be the best person, right? Because she doesn't have that kind of announcing experience. If they could find somebody who would be a better announcer than her, that person should get the job. But if they don't have anybody, or or their best option is David Otunga, uh, then I would be fine with giving Renee a trial run for a few weeks. See how it goes. You know, I wouldn't be opposed to that. And if it doesn't work out, well, then you can find somebody else. Put Corey Graves on the show. He's already, he's doing Raw, right? He's already there for 205 Live. I think he does the show with that guy Vic, uh, whatever his last name is. You could always put Corey in there, give him more work. But I would be open to to giving her a, a trial run and see how she does. Uh, Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable teamed up for the first time to beat the Ascension. Benjamin, uh, very nice to see him get the kind of reaction he did. He's been gone for a while and it wasn't like he was a top, top guy. So you never know what kind of reaction somebody's going to get. Um, they work well together, but again, it's only one match, so we'll see over time how they have, you know, what kind of chemistry they develop as a team. Uh, for the finish, Gable shoved Victor into Benjamin, Benjamin hit the pay dirt for the win. We had AJ Styles out for the US title open challenge. Ty Dillinger comes out, but Baron Corbin confronts him and then attacks him. He fought around for a bit, Dillinger got into the ring first, and so he got the match with AJ, but wasn't really much of a match. Uh, It was over in less than a minute. Dillinger tapped out to the calf crusher. You see, that's how you know you're at the bottom of the pecking order on the roster. When you tap out to the calf crusher, which nobody taps out to at this point. I mean, that's like like Okada beating Toriano in the G1 uh, with the red ink. Like, when was the last time you saw Okada win a match with the red ink? It's been a while. But it's Torriano, So, you know, it is what it is. That's kind of what this reminded me of. Although Toriano is a comedy character, Ty Dillinger is not a comedy character. A few more losses, he may turn into a comedy character. Bobby Roode beat Mike Canellis with the glorious DDT. Easy win for Roode. There were people insisting to me that the reason Canellis has not been on TV, or he hasn't been getting a big push is because he just checked himself into rehab for, I think, like a pain pill addiction. Uh, because Maria went and posted a photo on social media of him sitting in a doctor's office. These people apparently don't read, because if they did, they would realize that the photo was taken months ago. And, and good for him, by the way. He's uh, two months clean now, two months sober. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's not an easy thing to admit to. And so much respect to him for, for doing that. Um, and hopefully he continues down that path. You know, we can sit here and talk about, you know, he's being, be, you know, depushed or buried or why are they not doing more with him, which is true. Um, but you know, sometimes there's more important things in life. He seems to be a lot happier now and, uh, good for him. They are continuing to build to something between Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens. Owens sat ringside for a Sami Zayn, Aiden English match. He ran in in the middle of this match. He ripped the referee shirt off the guy's back, put it on, and did a fast count to give Aiden English the win. So I guess we're supposed to believe that that referee shirt, the referee shirt itself, gives one the authority to officiate matches now. We have to put this this theory to practice here so the next time you go to a WWE show I'm not telling you to jump over the barricade but if you happen to find yourself jumping over a barricade and into the ring if you pull the referee shirt off and put it on then by the power vested in you you have the official you know authority to count the fall in the match I guess I guess that's how this works uh at least that's what the music guy seems to think because as soon as Owens counted the fall English he he they played his music as though he was the official winner Shane McMahon turned around afterwards and said, no, that's going to be stricken from the record books. Somebody has to smarten up the sound folks. They fell for this once before. Steve Austin, remember, he whacked Vince McMahon in the face with a steel chair. He counted his own pin in a match against Dude Love. And the sound guys immediately played his theme song like he won the match. And then later they said, well, in fact, Dude Love won by disqualification. The common denominator here is the bozo who plays the music. Twenty years later you would think he would know how this works by now. You know what's really sad, by the way, is that yeah, I'm having fun here talking about the sound guys and you would think they would know by and there's gonna be people who listen to this who actually like take me seriously and they're saying, God you nitpick, leave the sound guys alone. <laughs> there's actually there's actually bozos out there who believe that. That that's what's so sad. Uh the Usos beat the New Day. Uh Xavier Woods was at ringside, his leg in a brace
3: Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward-policited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. website for details.
2: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
3: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? ha! in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say?
2: Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void representative prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: That's a little more than sore. Uh, He suffered an MCL sprain in a live event match last week. Better than an ACL tear. So I guess that... I think Becky Lynch told him that she had the same injury and she she wrestled through it and it took about a month to fully heal up. So he may not even miss any ring time. He could be back wrestling on TV this week. So uh, not a very serious injury. Natalia was backstage with Carmella. She threatened Carmella. Told her that if she ever tried to cash in your money in the bank on me, I'm going to make you the Baron Corbin of the women's division. I don't think a, a receding hairline would be a good look for Carmella speaking of Corbin's hairline to go with his uh, receding push I saw a headline this week I had to click on this was it was like a clickbait headline but it was a it was a very uh, well executed one because it got me to click on it it was a story on the website bleeding cool uh, which which is a cool site I like checking them out sometimes and the headline was Is Baron Corbin's receding hairline the real reason behind WWE killing his push? And again, tongue-in-cheek, but I clicked it. At first, though, I thought the writer was being serious, right? So I I clicked this thing, and I'm glad uh, I did, because this was the funniest thing I saw all week. So, evidently, WWE created a commemorative plaque that is currently for sale on WWEShop.com. For Baron Corbin's Money in the Bank win. The same Money in the Bank win that amounted to him being rolled up and pinned in less than 10 seconds. So, who in their right mind would even buy this thing? I have no idea. But the article actually links to a post on Reddit. I guess this originated on Reddit. Uh, Somebody made a very interesting observation about the photo of Corbin that WWE used on the plaque. It's a picture of him holding up the Money in the Bank briefcase after his big win. But there's something a little off about the picture. And that's because WWE has photoshopped hair (laughs) on top of Corbin's head to make it, I guess, look fuller, thicker, whatever. Uh, It's something I probably never would have even noticed, but now that I have, I cannot unsee this. Every time I look at this photo, it's the first thing I see. When you look at the two photos side by side, because the original is readily available... Okay, you find it online, it's, it's just the shot of him holding the briefcase up. When you look at them side by side, it's comical how obvious it is that they went back and they threw some hair up on the top of his head. Uh, so, and it doesn't even look good. Like, once you really look at it and notice it's like the color's kind of off, it, it looks like they took hair from somebody else's head and just dropped it on top of his. Uh, now, maybe they're trying to send him a message. You know, I don't know, poor guy. You know, first he loses his briefcase. Then he gets beat by John Cena in the opening match at uh, SummerSlam with 1AA. Then they make him a referee on TV the next uh, week. Now the women are even mocking him in their backstage segments. And the company is photoshopping fake hair on top of his head. Now that's what I call a terrible August. On the uh, subject of a terrible August, that brings me to Lana and Tamina. Lana is officially Tamina's new manager... She even screams, Tamina, crush! Just like she used to do with Rusev. Which begs the question, why the hell did they break up Rusev and Lana if she's just back to managing and saying, Tamina, crush! Why can't she do that with Rusev? I'm still waiting on a good answer, by the way, to why they split these two up. And I don't want to hear, well, because Lana wanted to wrestle. There's no law that says she can't wrestle and still manage Rusev. So Tamina beat some local talent. It was a terrible match. And not just because of the local talent, either. Uh, this was just awful. This whole story is awful. Uh, just terrible. Main event was Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura beating Rusev and Jinder Mahal. After Nakamura pinned Rusev with the Kinshasa. After the match, Orton hit Nakamura with an RKO out of nowhere. And Nakamura gave, uh, gave it the old RVD cell where he nearly pile drove himself on the way down. Those two are going to meet on TV this week. With the winner meeting Jinder Mahal for the WWE Championship, I assume in Hell in a Cell next month, should be another big win for Nakamura that would mark uh, wins over John Cena and Randy Orton on TV in the last four weeks, which is why I kind of laugh when people say that, you know, why has Nakamura been booked so poorly? (laughs) I mean, I'll give you that. The SummerSlam finish sucked. That was a terrible finish to a bad match. Didn't do him any favors, but... You know, and also you can argue that he may not feel as special as he used to, but that's what happens over time. Like unless you're Brock Lesnar and you show up every few months, you're undefeated, like Asuka, who also, by the way, you know, being in NXT, it's not like she was being completely overexposed. Unless you're you're somebody like that, if you're on TV every single week, you're not going to feel all that special. It's just not going to happen. Now that aside, though, he beat Cena. He's going to beat Orton. He's going to wrestle for the title again in the main event of the next pay-per-view. He may not win it. I mean, they may find a way to screw him over again. Jinder Mahal, I I read this this week and I couldn't believe it. Jinder Mahal has now been WWE champion for over 100 days. Let that sink in. Over 100. Sasha Banks wins the championship four times and can't hold it more than a week or two. (laughs) Okay. You know, or a month, whatever it is, but you know, not not one successful defense. Gender Mahal has been champion now for over 100 days. Uh, they may go all the way to the Royal Rumble with him. Frankly, uh, you know, I I can't see him going into WrestleMania as the champion. The Rumble, I could see. I could see them maybe having him go to the Rumble and and dropping it there. But I think it's time to end the gender stuff. I mean, you guys know where I stand on this. Uh, do the title change at Hell in a Cell. And let Nakamura go all the way to WrestleMania with it next year, and let him drop it to AJ Styles at WrestleMania. That's what I would do. I would get that championship off of gender ASAP, put it on Nakamura. Yeah, I know some people may not like that. You know, why, why do a, why do you do the big title change with Nakamura at a show like Hell in a Cell? Look, why are they doing Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, and John Cena, Roman Reigns as the double main event of No Mercy? right? Because they're going all in on these B-shows. These these B-shows, they don't want them to be B-shows anymore. They want them all to be uh, on the same level, I guess. So you can't look at it that way. And frankly, I just, I don't see another good option right now for someone to take the title off of gender. I would say AJ, but AJ's got the US title. There's nobody else on that brand that I look at and go, man, I wish that guy was champion right now. So, get the title off of him. Let Nakamura have a run with it. I, I want to see him and AJ have a match at WrestleMania next year. And I think AJ should be the one in the end who ends up with the championship. That's what I would do.
3: I'm actually not wearing pants, and that's how I watch NXT every single week.
1: Some quick NXT thoughts before we get into the May Young Classic. The show last Wednesday... Open with uh, a shot of sanity laid out outside in the parking lot by some mystery assailants that they sure did want you to believe was Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish, uh, even though they were nowhere to be found. We had uh, Drew McIntyre come out, the uh, new NXT champion, out for a promo. And Roderick Strong ended up coming out and confronting him. He wanted to go f- you know, face-to-face and say, look, I want a, a shot at your championship, and I'm coming after you after I get done with Bobby Roode here uh, later on here on this show. So that set things up. We had Ruby Riot and Peyton Royce in a match. They actually had a pretty good match here. It went it went. Uh, they gave them some time. The finish though was uh, it was quite the finish. So Billy Kay is out there in Peyton Royce's corner because the two of them are inseparable. Right, whenever one is out there, you can always uh, bank on the other one being there. And so. She drags Ruby Riot out of the ring at one point. I, I, I'm sure the referee was distracted. and she pulls her out and she gives her a big boot. Like this was like a like an undertaker, big boot, Kevin Nash, big boot. She's got those long legs, but she booted Ruby Riot. I, I couldn't believe her head stayed attached to her, her the rest of her body. <laughs> you got to see this big boot. Even the announcers, even Nigel was like, "Oh my God!" And they showed it on replay. Uh, that was it. I mean, that was the knockout shot. She put her back in the ring. Peyton Royce hit the perfect plex and got the pin. Uh, backstage, Cassius Ono went into William Regal's office and requested a match with Hideo Itami for next week. But not just any match. He wants a no disqualification match. And Regal obliges. Also next week, they've announced that Asuka will be here to talk about her future. We already know her future since WWE spoiled it for us. And so I assume this is the show where she will officially relinquish her NXT Women's Championship. Will be the uh, the end of an era here coming up this week on NXT. Heavy Machinery won in a squash match against the two dudes I didn't get their names. You know, whenever Heavy Machinery is out there, it's a literal squash match. Like, that's their finish. They squash their opponents. We had Roderick Strong and Bobby Roode in the main event in what I assume will end up being Roode's swan song here on NXT. Uh, Roode hit the glorious DDT. Roddy got his foot on the bottom rope at the last possible second. Roode started yelling at him and Roddy caught him with three straight knee strikes to the face, blew Roode a kiss goodnight, gave him a uh, standing suplex into a backbreaker for the finish. Roddy finally gets his revenge on Bobby Roode. Drew McIntyre suddenly walks out on stage and poses with the championship and holds the belt up high when all of a sudden, out comes Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish to attack McIntyre. They lay him out. All three guys put the boots to him. Interestingly, at no point during this beatdown here did Roderick Strong attempt to make the save. Now, I could be reading into things a little too much. But I'm thinking that my idea to include him with those other three in that little uh, ROH faction they have going on here that may still be a possibility. That may still happen. Regal came out, all three of them bailed. Regal, uh, I was gonna say Regal chased them out into the parking lot. He, it was like a brisk walk. It was like Regal was briskly walking behind them, I guess to just make sure they left the uh, they left the building, which they did. And uh, that, was the, uh, that was the end of the show. Nobody has a better scowl in all of wrestling than William Regal. And for the record, I do miss it when Samoa Joe used to be on TV every week yelling Regal's name. I do miss that. Let's talk about the May Young Classic. The first round dropped on the WWE Network this past week. The first four episodes, I watched all four. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, the format is very much like the Cruiserweight Classic, uh, with profiles of each competitor before each match. Um, in, in terms of how it compares to the Cruiserweight Classic uh, so far, um, not as good. Also, I would put it below the UK tournament. Uh, in terms of like action, in terms of announcing, and again, it's only the first four episodes, but so far, uh, you know, if I had to rank all three, this would be number three. But it's still, it was still good, I thought, overall. Uh, Jim Ross and Lita are the uh are the, are the ones handling the commentary here. JR has said that they went back recently to reshoot commentary for 16 matches not because he says they were bad, uh but just to make improvements. That's that's what he says. Um I mean they were fine. I thought as a you know as far as the commentary goes, the commentary was fine, but These two just don't have any chemistry together at all. I mean, they really don't. And there were a lot of points where JR would say something that, you know, you could kind of tell was kind of meant for Lita to react to, where he would almost, like, say something and expect her to give an answer, and there was just nothing. There was, like, a long pause. There's just no chemistry between them. Not everybody can gel together the way that, like, he did with Lawler or Paul Heyman, um... You know, Mauro and Daniel Bryan were fantastic together. Calling the Cruiserweight Classic, you could you could feel the passion that those two had for it. They knew all of the people. They were dropping little little notes about them left and right. Uh, but you know, the passion that they had, it, it's not here with these two. Um, but again, it, it's only four episodes. Maybe they'll gel better in the later episodes as time goes on. This is their first time, I believe, working together. Uh, you know, but then again, the commentary for the UK tournament with uh, Michael Cole and Nigel McGuinness, Cole and McGuinness had never worked together either, and I thought they did an excellent job and they played off each other very well. So that's really not much of an excuse. But that's my thoughts as far as the uh, the announcing goes. So I mean, we'll go episode by episode just because I want to give my thoughts on each uh, each match, each competitor, and we'll just sort of move on. But the opening match of this whole thing had Kaylee Ray from Scotland against Princesa Suhe from Mexico, and uh, Kaylee Ray calls herself the Queen of Hardcore, held the uh, ICW Women's Title for 251 days. Uh, Suhe won championships in CMLL, so these ladies have had some success. They are not new to this; they are not rookies. Uh, I thought they had a good, solid opener. I thought they would go with a different match for the opener uh, with with maybe somebody who was, or a couple of people who were even more polished or maybe more well-known, just to sort of start out with a big bang. Uh, But I thought, again, they had a good match. Uh, Suhey got Kaylee Ray to tap out to an arm bar to advance. We had Serena Deeb, formerly of Straight Edge Society fame, against Vanessa Bourne, who qualified for the tournament in a match on NXT a while back. Uh, I think that might have been the only qualifying match I can remember there being for this tournament on NXT. She used to be a dancer and a cheerleader for the uh, Phoenix Suns and the Arizona Cardinals. They said that she was trained by Rikishi and Gangrel. They also made a point to mention that she's from the Samoan bloodline. That was after she gave a headbutt at one point to Serena. When you see somebody deliver a headbutt or take a headbutt and it has no effect on them you have to automatically assume that they are Samoan, or they have some level, uh, some degree of Samoan blood in them. I guess that's uh, what I learned from this. Unfortunately for her, that alone was not enough to get her a win. Serena won with a spear. This was not as good as the opener. But, uh, you know, in the Cruiserweight Classic, if you remember, Brian Kendrick was the feel-good comeback story. And in this tournament, that role goes to Serena. Uh, they documented her time in WWE and the fact that she had alcohol issues. I I assume she went to rehab. I don't know. But she, you know, she, she got better. She's in a much better place now. I think she does a lot of yoga and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, here here she is as, I guess, the veteran. I mean, she's not that old. I was kind of shocked. I looked it up. I think she's only like 31 or something. She's not that old. But here she is getting a second chance, kind of the way Brian Kendrick did in the, in the cruiserweight tournament. So uh, she's playing that role. We had Shayna Baszler, one of the four horsewomen of MMA. The other three were at ringside rooting her on, including Ronda Rousey. She took on Zeta, who herself has a background in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. For Baszler, you know, we saw they, they had clips of her in MMA. They had clips of her working matches in Shimmer. Uh, from the get-go, you know, Baszler was just going for an armbar which could not lock it in. Zeta fought back, uh, but it did not take very long. Uh, Baszler hit a standing suplex, sort of flipped Zeta's body on the way down, and immediately locked her in a rear naked choke for the submission. I thought that was pretty cool.
3: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh,
1: After the match, she went and celebrated with the other horsewomen at ringside. If they end up signing Baszler, the person I think who actually suffers because of it is uh, Sonia Deville in NXT. That's uh, Daria Baronado. She's been doing an MMA gimmick. She has MMA experience of her own, although I, I think she's only done maybe three fights. But she's the one, she hasn't been on TV every week, but she's the one been doing that, you know, MMA type gimmick. Um, but she doesn't have the level of experience doing that than, than, you know, Baszler does. And having more than one person doing the same type of gimmick, especially if she's not as good at it as I would imagine Shayna Baszler is, probably doesn't bode too well for her. So uh, I guess we'll see how that shakes out. Jazzy Gabbert against Abby Leth. Gabbert is a giant woman from Germany. She's six foot one. Her name on the Indies was the Alpha Female. And I can see why. Um, She had a brief stint in TNA as the Alpha Female. I don't think she was there very long. Uh, She reminds... I can't even tell you why. Maybe it's the hair. It could be the hair. But she reminds me of Brigitte Nielsen in Beverly Hills Cop (laughs) 2. That's the first thing I think of uh, when I see her. It's got to be the hair and uh And how's this for a little trivia note? I did not know this, uh, but I saw she actually mentioned it on her Twitter uh, a while back. Her stepfather is Masahiro chono. chono is her stepdad. so I thought that was interesting. uh she got a hell of a reaction in the opening minute of this match like all of a sudden the fans were going nuts like out of nowhere and it wasn't like she was doing anything to warrant that so i'm I'm thinking to myself. Maybe somebody's about to run in off camera and I can't see them. Like I didn't know what was going on, but no, I mean, people were just into her. She was like no-selling Abby's offense and knocking her down. And, you know, I guess she was the big giant and people were just going nuts for her. Uh, Abby was throwing some shots at her and she was just standing there taking it. Um, Abby Leif, by the way, is the new name they have given to Kimberly, who I'm sure many of you uh, know from her days in Shimmer. And I guess uh, CZW, she wrestled there as well. In the pre-match video, Abby said that she got the Alligator Clutch finish from watching Mae Young matches, so it was appropriate here that she won with the Alligator Clutch, which surprised me. You know, Jazzy was getting such a great reaction here, uh, I just was, I guess I just wasn't expecting to see her lose. Um, I would think that she would be a lock to be signed after this. I mean, she looked fine, and, and between that and the reaction she got... Uh, she she's an attraction you look at her and she commands your attention so I would be stunned frankly if if she's not already under a developmental contract or if she's not offered one she definitely has a presence about her. Uh, she hit a big lariat she was going uh to do some ground and pound on Abby or as Michael Cole would say pound and ground uh she went for a power bomb Abby reversed it into the alligator clutch and got the win. So we move on to episode two. We had Mercedes Martinez finally making it to the big time. 36 years old. She started wrestling the year that Rikishi did it for the rock. In the uh, interview she did with Sam Roberts, Sasha Banks uh, revealed that she wanted to use her real first name when she started wrestling. Her real first name is Mercedes. But she was told she couldn't because there was already another wrestler with the first name Mercedes, and it would just confuse people. And the Mercedes that she was talking about was, in fact, Mercedes Martinez. So she beat Xia Lee from China with a dragon sleeper for the submission. Uh, I thought the match was okay. Nothing special. That led to Rachel Evers, the former Rachel Ellering, against a familiar face from TNA, Marty Bell. This was by far the worst match of the entire first round. This was horrible. This was a terrible match. Uh, I would say Marty deserves most of the blame for this one, but really it goes both ways. I guess the rumor, and I don't know if this part of it is true, but I've I've read this in a couple of different places. The rumor is that the finish was changed mid-match, that Marty was supposed to win, but she was so bad, they called an audible and they had Rachel win the match instead. I don't know if that's true. Would it surprise me? Absolutely not. Uh, Rachel did win with an inside cradle, but that's all you need to know. Avoid this match at all costs. Hopefully, uh, we will see better from Rachel Evers. And uh, I don't have it in front of me who she's wrestling in round two, but uh, I would I would certainly hope it's better than what we saw here. Next up, we had a 20 year old Australian named Rhea Ripley against uh, an alum from the reality of wrestling promotion that Booker T runs down in uh, in Houston. Actually, he was trained by Booker T. Miranda Salinas, uh, Rhea Ripley, I gotta talk about Rhea, Rhea is my new favorite, <laughs> I gotta tell, not, not to win the whole tournament, but uh, she's just my new favorite, what can I say, she's got star written all over her, It's it's not even that she's that good yet, it's not like, wow, what a fantastic wrestler she is, but she's like, she's more than capable, and again, she's very young, she seems like a natural in there, just the way she moves around and her mannerisms and all that, she looks like you know, you would think that she's been wrestling for, for five years, and she's only 20 years old. She hasn't been wrestling for five years, I could tell you that much. Of all the women in the first round that I was not familiar with going into it, she's the one who caught my attention the most. Uh, apparently, she is already signed to a developmental deal, which is not a surprise. I would think that there was something wrong with the uh, the water down there in Orlando if they hadn't offered her a contract already. So I'm sure we're going to be seeing more of her in the future. She won here with a full Nelson Slam Salinas looked good, too, but uh, this came off as more of a showcase for for Ripley than uh, one for Salinas. Main event was another familiar face from TNA, Mia Yim against Sarah Logan, the former Crazy Mary Dobson. Up to this point, this was the best match of the first round. Uh, After the first four episodes, I would call this the third best match of the first round, but uh, I thought both these women looked really good in there. Mia won with the Eat Defeat which was fitting, uh, as they mentioned Gail Kim being one of her inspirations. You know, Enzo Amore used Eat Defeat. He debuted Eat Defeat as his new finish on TV this week for the first time on Raw last Monday, and he fucked it up. (laughs) How do you fuck up Eat Defeat? Well, Mia didn't, and uh, she got the win with it. We move on to episode three. Tony Storm, another Aussie, 21 years old, beat the, uh, the Deadlift Diva, Aisha Raymond with a roll up. Not a great match, but Tony Storm, total star. Uh, very charismatic. She was, by the way, the blonde badass with the top hat that Alexa Bliss was talking about when I interviewed her at the uh, 2K event. She was referring to Tony Storm. We had Dakota Kai against Kavita DeVee, who was trained by the great Kali. And DeVee has a powerlifting background. Dakota is not uh, exactly a big girl. And so DeVee was mostly just toying with her and throwing her around for most of the match until finally Dakota kicked her right in the face. So think Sami Zayn's halluva kick, but even more brutal. Uh, and then she finished her off with a double foot stomp off the top, which if I remember, I think Jim Ross actually mentioned coup de grace. I don't think he meant it as though like that's the name of the move. Let me Let me take Finn Balor's uh, the name for his move and use it. I think he just sort of used it as, hey, it's the coup de grace for her. But I thought that was kind of funny that she, you know, he blatantly took uh, the name of, of Finn Balor's finish and used it here. Uh, Dakota, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys have been saying. Dakota definitely given off a lot of Bailey vibes in terms of just how she looked and, I don't know, her size, her style, being the underdog, all of those things rolled up into one. Uh, as a matter of fact, Bailey, when I interviewed her, mentioned that Dakota Kai was one of her favorites to uh, watch out for here in this tournament. Bianca Belair beat Sage Beckett. Now, you may not recognize her, but Beckett was Rosie Lotta Love in TNA many years ago. Uh, she's the one who sat on Daphne and injured her in her tryout match, which naturally led to TNA signing her to a contract. Because, LOL TNA. She has since lost... 130 pounds. That's like a whole other person. And uh, I don't think they mentioned that at all. I guess that's not part of her story. But uh, that's thats a pretty big deal, you know? That's uh, no, no pun intended. I mean, that's a pretty big uh, accomplishment there for her. So she looks quite a bit different than she did back in her uh, TNA days. Blair used a braided strand of her hair. That's kind of her gimmick. Uh, she hit Beckett with her hair, basically, and then gave her a spear and pinned her. You know, her hair is a lethal weapon. That's not fair. Her hair should be deemed a foreign object. That's that's what I say. Piper Niven and Santana Garrett were given the main event here on this episode. This topped the Mia Yim match with Sarah Logan uh, as the best match of the first round up to this point. Piper is the one I was talking about. I, I stuck up for it last week after all the uh, you know the fat shaming that people were doing on WWE's Facebook page, which was just ridiculous and completely out of control. And she showed here that, you know, she she's going to be somebody to, you know, watch for in the future here. She's very good. Uh, I'm not even frankly sure that she really got to show exactly what she can do in the ring. Not to say that she was holding back or anything, but I think as the tournament goes on, like in the next round, I think we'll see even more from her. Uh, Santana Garrett is an interesting one, <clears throat> because we've seen her have matches here and there on NXT. Kind of like, you know, Tessa Blanchard and Rachel Evers, like. They'll, they'll pop up every now and then, they'll have a match or two, and then they'll disappear. And I I just, for the life of me, I cannot understand, especially after this. If they haven't already signed her to a contract, then there's something wrong with them. I can't understand how they haven't signed Santana Garrett already to, to a deal. To actually bring her into developmental, bring her into NXT. Um, I just, I don't get it. It's a mystery to me. You know, she's talented. She's got a, a very, you know, seemingly outgoing personality. She looks like Wonder Woman out there with all the colors and everything. Uh, you know, I just, I don't get it. And hopefully after her showing here, they'll wake up and we'll bring her in. They did mention, I don't remember if it was J.R. or, or Lita, uh, mentioned that she was like mentored, I think it was, by Scott Hall and Larry Zabisco. I know that she was actually l- like rooming with them, I think, uh, going back a number of years. Uh, with Scott Hall and, and Larry Zabisco. And I don't know if they trained her or anything like that, but you would think, you know, Scott Hall, right? Good buddies with Triple H, put a good word in maybe for her, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, he hasn't been able to get his own son into NXT if he's tried, so maybe he doesn't have that much pull. I don't know, but uh, I would definitely like to see them do more with uh, Santana Garrett. She lost here. She's not moving on in the tournament. Uh, she hit a uh, reverse Hurricane Rana off the top. For a near fall. Crowd was going nuts by the end of this match. That's how you know. Like when you can get the crowd up on their feet. And they're the final minutes of the match. Uh, you know you got something special. And Piper Niven uh, hit a splash. She hit a Mishinoku driver for the win. So she's moving on. That brings us to episode four. Johnny Gargano was at ringside to watch his wife, Candice LeRae, take on Renee Michelle. If you want to see what Candice can do, go watch that PWG match with her and Joey Ryan against the Young Bucks from many years ago. That was my first introduction to Candice LeRae, which was kind of an extreme introduction to her. If you go back and watch the match, you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, she got the win here with a swinging neckbreaker off... uh, I don't remember if it was the top rope or the middle rope, but... It uh, was pretty devastating. She picked up the wins so as she's moving on. Lacey Evans, former U.S. Marine. Again, I feel like we've seen her make a couple of appearances before in NXT. Uh, she beat Tenara Conti from Brazil. I noticed that WWE.com had a poll up saying, of all the women in the first round, who was the one that impressed either impressed you the most, or the one that you would have liked to have seen moved on? And Tainara Conti, nothing against her, but... She wouldn't exactly be the one that would get, you know, my vote. And she was running away with it with like 36%. So I don't know if that's just people stuffing the ballot box. I don't know if that's all the people in Brazil who got tipped off, who just went to WWE.com and flooded the site with votes for her. Uh, but if I had to pick one person in this, you know, the 32 women, the entire first round, who impressed me or, you know, who who I wanted to win the whole thing or whatever... Uh, She would not be in my, uh, I don't think she'd be in my top 10, so I don't know what's going on with that poll. But Lacey Evans got the win. This was not a great match. Lacey Evans, uh, I I didn't think either woman here looked all that great, but uh, she got the win, so Lacey is moving on. We had Nicole Savoy coming off a uh, torn ACL that she suffered last year, beating Reyna Gonzalez via submission with an armbar. Savoy calls herself the suplex machine, or a suplex machine. Uh, we didn't really see much suplexing here from her, though, because uh, Reina was, was bigger than her, and so she wasn't able to throw her around the way that she, I guess, does with other opponents. But uh, Savoy got the win. And finally, they saved the best for last. This, in my opinion, was the best match of the entire first round. We had the full-sale debut of Kyrie Sane, the Pirate Princess... They let her keep her character. She had the pirate hat on, carrying a pirate ship wheel <laughs> to the ring. Jr. explained that she has a lot of experience in yachting, hence where the whole pirate princess character comes from. I love her theme music. I gotta say, it sounds like some like epic score from a Pirates of the Caribbean film. Uh, if they let her keep that song, that's going to sound badass when she eventually gets that big title win. It's going to feel like that much more epic, I think. I just hope they don't turn around and change it when she gets to NXT, the way that they changed uh, T.J. Perkins' theme after the Cruiserweight Classic, they changed Pete Dunn's theme after the UK Tournament. Please, for the love of God, don't change this woman's music. It's perfect. She wrestled Tessa Blanchard. Uh, people audibly gasped when Tessa's name popped up on the screen as she came out, probably like me, they were just shocked that uh, they would have her wrestling here in this spot, knowing that she was not winning this match, <clears throat> you know, and that she was just going to be bounced right out of the first round. Uh, now, Tessa has apparently also wrestled in stardom. We know that's where Kyrie Sane made a name for herself wrestling in stardom over in Japan. Uh, apparently, Tessa has wrestled in stardom as well, but their paths never crossed. Uh, they never actually wrestled each other because she didn't interview, Tessa did uh, that, you know, she, she said that there were two different times. There were two occasions where she and Kyrie were supposed to have a match, but it just never, it never came about. It never happened. Uh, but I'm glad it finally did. These two were great together. Uh, Tessa is, is much improved from what I remember her the last time, uh, on NXT. Uh, and late in the match, she hit basically a code breaker in the corner that, If it was anybody else that she was in there with, if this was any other first round match with Tessa Blanchard, I would have totally bought that as the finish. Uh, But not here. I don't think anybody expected uh, Kyrie Sane to be pinned here like that. Kyrie laid her out with an Alabama slam, and then it was time. She teased it. She held up her arm. She pointed to her elbow. The place went crazy. She climbed up to the top rope, and she delivered the most beautiful elbow drop in all the land. It looked like she caved Tessa's chest in with it because when she comes down, just the way that she kind of, you know, contorts her body and everything, she comes down with that elbow right on your chest. It just looks devastating. Uh, I know she's not a big woman, but she, it just looks devastating. And I said this on Twitter. I'll say it again here. I don't care if people agree with me or not. I love the Macho Man. You guys know he's one of my favorites. Okay. I love the Macho Man, but. This woman has the best looking elbow drop that I have ever seen. Macho is now number two. And and yes, Savage probably had a good eighty to hundred pounds on her. But you know what? For a woman who's what? What do you think she is? 130 pounds, maybe? It still looks devastating. She still finds a way to make it look like a devastating finish that nobody should kick out of. She was so happy to pick up this win. And Tess is in the ring kind of applauding her. They embraced after the match. This was a great way to end the first round. Uh, Kyrie will now face Bianca Belair in the second round. Although the second round match, I'm looking at the second round matches here. The one that I think I'm looking forward to is probably Serena against Piper Niven. I have a feeling that's going to be a a sleeper match. Episodes 5 through 8 which encompasses the second round quarterfinals and semifinals will drop tomorrow, Monday morning at 9 a.m. on the WWE Network, just like the first round did last week. So if you want to binge watch all of them at once, you can do that. Uh, Again, the wrestling may not be as good so far as it was in the Cruiserweight Classic or the UK tournament, but there's enough really good stuff in here, I think, to make it worth your while if you uh, have not watched any of it. If you're looking for a recommendation, I recommend that you go check it out. Lucha Underground. In four weeks, we are getting four nights of Ultima Lucha 3. Next week's show, the one on the 13th, I believe it is, is the 100th episode of Lucha Underground. It's going to have a Rey Mysterio main event against the monster Matanza. On this show, Son of Madness beat Masquerita Sagrada. He was then attacked by Son of Havoc. That set the main event up, which was a Boyle Heights biker brawl. For one of the ancient Aztec medallions between Havoc and Madness. Marty the Moth got to show off his evil side here. He bloodied up Arhenis. This was Arhenis' first match back after having his arm broken for a second time by Pentagon, this poor bastard. And here in his first match back, Marty busted him open and ripped off his mask. I think Arhenis may want to find another line of work. Uh, Phoenix attacked Marty after the match. Melissa Santos got up into the ring to uh, stand alongside Phoenix, who challenged Marty to a mask versus hair match at Ultima Lucha. Phoenix then started up an Animo chant, which is what the fans chant when he's out there every single week What the hell does that even mean? I I've meant to ask this for a while, and it's never really important enough for me to remember. But, you know, when he was leading the chant, I was thinking to myself, what the hell the hell does that even mean i probably should know this by now given that they've been chanting it for three seasons i gotta check i gotta check right now i should have done this before I'll, i'll let me check real quick here let's see let's see what google translate has to say spanish what does animo mean Okay, according to this, this uh, English-to-Spanish translation here, Animo means cheer up. Cheer up? <laughs> so is his is gimmick that he's depressed? Well, alright, well, whatever, there you go. Maybe they should make it a a Prozac on a pole match at uh, Ultima Lucha instead. Joey Ryan pinned Sexy Star when Taya caused the distraction... There really isn't much else to say about this. I don't really feel like spending any more time on Sexy Star, quite frankly. I said enough about her at the top of the show. Fuck her. So let's move on. Uh, Son of Havoc won the Biker Brawl over Son of Madness in what was, I thought, a very good main event. They had a wild brawl uh, that ended up with Madness grabbing a hammer. But Havoc was able to break a beer bottle over his head. Actually, I think he broke it right across his face. And then uh, Havoc hit the Shooting Star Press for the win... Not much else going on, really, on this episode. I mean, they had a few cutscenes with Dario Cueto and whatnot, but uh, I thought, you know, they did a fine job of advancing the key stories here, going into uh, Ultima Lucha in, uh, in a few weeks. So that was it. That was uh, That's Lucha Underground in a nutshell. Let's move on to uh, the mailbag here. Your questions, you can email them to me, thesalamonster, at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. Uh, we'll start here with Ben from Chicago. With reports of Randy Orton being unhappy on SmackDown and rumors that he wants to be on Raw, do you think he would? Do you think he should be traded? And if so, for who? I I don't know where those rumors are coming from. I haven't read that he wants to be on Raw. Maybe he does. Um, so I would uh, I would be a little skeptical of that. I don't know why anybody would want to be on Raw. <laughs> you know, quite frankly, um, I don't even think you need to do a trade. I mean, SmackDown just got Bobby Roode. And for the time being, he's a babyface like Orton's a babyface, so he could always just take Orton's spot, and they could say that Orton's contract was up, and he negotiated a new deal with, you know, Kurt Angle or something. But you know, if they do trade him, if they want to do an actual trade, uh, it has to be somebody of of equal value. It has to be somebody at a top level or at least near his level. I would trade him either. There's only two names to me that make sense. I would trade him either for Finn Balor, or for Samoa Joe. You know, it's obvious that Brock Lesnar is not dropping the championship until WrestleMania. Probably to Roman Reigns. Balor or Joe, either one of those guys, they could easily be wrestling for a top title right now. They would both, I think, fare better uh, in that respect being on uh, SmackDown wrestling for the WWE Championship. Against either Jinder uh, or against Nakamura. You know, they could also feud with AJ Styles, maybe for the US title. You know, when I think about that, a, uh, you know, like a Balor AJ feud for the U.S. title, yeah, talk about elevating the U.S. title. I mean, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I, I wouldn't want to jump right into that. That's something I think you save maybe for next year. Um, of the two, though, if I had to, you know, take a stance and pick one over the other, I mean, Balor intrigues me. I think Joe, though, Joe probably does make more sense. He, you know, he still. You still have some big matches for Balor on Raw that they haven't done. Uh, I think Balor and Jeff Hardy, especially after the stare down they had last Monday. I don't know if that was a, a kind of a tease for something, but I think the two of them could probably have a, a, a good singles feud. I think um Balor and Rollins. I think Balor and John Cena. Knowing WWE, the way they've been blowing through these big John Cena matches on TV, we could probably expect Finn Balor and John Cena to headline uh, an episode of Raw next month at this rate. But I think he's still got some big matches left on the on the red brand. And and Joe, he had the match with Brock Lesnar. Actually, two matches if you count the four-way at SummerSlam. I don't think they're going to go back to that anytime soon. I think the time has passed for Joe. He had some momentum. And, and I mean, him being injured and being out for a few weeks doesn't help. But I think uh, he already had the big match people wanted to see. That was Samoa Joe against Brock Lesnar. They already did it. And so... And, and also Rollins and Roman Reigns. He's wrestled all of them. And so I think I would probably, of the two, trade for him. Move Joe to SmackDown and move Orton to Raw if they were going to do that. Uh, Brandon from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I want to get your thoughts on this idea. With Braun Strowman getting more of a babyface reaction and with John Cena back on Raw... I feel like the time is right for a Roman Reigns heel turn. See, well, here's what, here's what you don't realize, Brandon. According to Triple H and the folks in WWE, Roman's already a heel. They can't understand why the fans are so upset. He's already a heel, right? He, he, people boo him every week. That constitutes a heel turn to the people in WWE. I'm just saying. Anyway, he says, My idea is to have Reigns lose to John Cena at no mercy, furthering his pay-per-view losing streak. Fast forward to Survivor Series, have Roman reunite with The Shield for a big six-man tag match, have The Shield win, and after the match, have Roman turn on Ambrose and Rollins. Actually, I would do one better. I would have them lose. All right? I would have Roman cost them the match. Um, but his argument is that, you know, you, with John Cena back, Strowman getting babyface reactions, Lesnar basically being a tweener, And Samoa Joe getting positive reactions that Ron needs a strong, genuine top heel. And he feels that Roman could be that guy. And that by having him turn on the shield, that would get him genuine heat and help avoid him becoming the quote-unquote cool heel that everybody likes to cheer. Um, And he also says that if Roman against Brock is the plan for WrestleMania, you know, this kind of makes the match a little more intriguing. It changes the dynamic if Roman goes in there as the clear heel. What, what do I think? What do I think? I like it. I, I, I like the idea of him killing the Shield reunion after one match or even costing the Shield, let's say, the win and then beating up Rollins and Ambrose because Rollins and Ambrose are genuinely beloved by the crowd and the people would legitimately be pissed off like if this were WCW back in the day, like garbage throwing pissed off at Roman Reigns, if he goes and ruins the big reunion that everybody wants to see. So it would get him a ton of heat. The only thing is, I'm not so sure is going to be around then. You know, you mentioned, well, John is back. I don't even know if John is wrestling at Survivor Series. You know, he's not going to be back full time. Um, and so he may not be around. So you got to be careful because if you do flip Roman, you do have to have somebody to kind of fill the spot. Maybe that, maybe that could be Finn Balor. So you could do it. They're not going to, but You could certainly do it, and I do think it would change the dynamic a little bit uh, in terms of a uh, Lesnar-Reigns match at WrestleMania. But, I mean, I can't say that's the WrestleMania main event uh, that that gets me the most excited, but I don't think that we're going to have much of a choice in the matter. Contrary to what John Cena would have you believe with that promo uh, when he was in the ring with Roman on Monday, how we, the fans, hold the keys, yeah, I I would, uh, I'm skeptical of that statement uh brett from denver colorado when wwe did a reboot for ecw back in 2006 why did kurt angle end up heading to the ecw brand was it a decision by vince to get more eyes on the product with greater star power or was it because the ecw events would be taped and allow for an easier schedule for angle well ecw was running house shows uh of their own before they sort of merged uh merge them into the smackdown events i think it was so i doubt that it had anything to do with giving him an easier schedule in fact when he left the company and this is kurt's side of the story and kurt was going through a lot of issues back then he was probably on a lot of shit but yeah that was one of the things that bothered him was that he wanted you know a, a more reduced schedule he was burning the candle at both ends he claims that vince basically said no and and So no, it wasn't a way to, to get him a reduced schedule. They wanted star power, plain and simple. They wanted a big name on that brand. They wanted the brand to succeed right out of the gate. And to do that, you need big names. And Kurt was a big name. He was a legit guy. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something that Paul Heyman himself pitched for. To have Kurt be part of the ECW brand. Dominic from Los Angeles on the September 9th, 2002 episode of Raw... Eric Bischoff hosted hot lesbian action by bringing in two local women. Two women were about to make out in the ring when Three Minute Warning attacked them. What is your reaction to this segment, and were you shocked by it? Uh, yeah, even even by the standards of back then, it was pretty it was pretty over the top. I, I will say it was it was pretty disturbing to watch. You know, the woman who got kicked, I believe, had some of her ribs uh, legitimately busted up too. So uh, yeah, that was. That was a rough segment to, to watch. Uh, one more ECW question here from uh, from Brett. Forgot to uh, include this before. Who had the beer drinking gimmick first? Sandman or Stone Cold Steve Austin? Well, I mean, Sandman was drinking beer in ECW long before Stone Cold started doing it in WWF. So there's your answer. Cliff. From Port Jefferson Station, New York. If you were in charge of WWF in nineteen ninety seven and Steve Austin had retired after his neck injury, what would you have booked as the main event of WrestleMania fourteen? Well, yeah, if I were in charge of WWF in nineteen ninety seven, I wouldn't have screwed Brett. <laughs> I wouldn't have screwed him out of the championship. I would have I would have held out on the big Brett-Sean rematch until WrestleMania. I mean, that was a WrestleMania-worthy main event right there, and I would have saved it for that, because I think that, you know, without Austin, that's the biggest possible match they could have done at the time. But I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more alternate main event. Let's say Brett does get screwed. If I I have no control over this. Okay, Brett gets screwed. I'm in charge, and Sean is champion. What do I do? If you recall, Owen Hart ran out... The following month after the screw job, he ran out to attack Sean. I never did get why they blew that match off so quickly on that one episode of Raw because Owen you know, Owen had some real juice when he first came back. That was the to me, the only real time in his entire career where Owen truly kind of felt like a top guy like or like a top babyface or something. It was that, that period when he first came back and he confronted Vince McMahon in the ring. Remember, he grabbed Vince by the jacket and was yelling at him and all that. And so you have also the story of Sean having screwed over his brother. That should have been the title match at the Royal Rumble, not the casket match with The Undertaker. You let Sean get a win over Owen at the Rumble. You have Undertaker win the Rumble right, the Rumble match, and you do the third and final Shawn Michaels Undertaker match for the championship at WrestleMania, either with or without the casket. I mean, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of casket matches, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. They probably would have wanted to do a stipulation. They had already done basically a no DQ match in September, a Hell in a Cell match in October. So what, what the stip might've been, I don't know, but actually it would have been kind of fun to see Shawn, Shawn in a ladder match with the Undertaker. But uh, I would have done the third and final match with Undertaker finally getting the win over Sean and winning the championship at WrestleMania. Uh, that's, you know, that's another idea when I got your question that I was thinking about. You know, what if if Bret wasn't around, what would I do? Because Taker and Sean, you know, they had a great feud. Their matches were a lot of fun. They just had a certain chemistry that not everybody has. Uh, and here's the other benefit to doing it that way. I mean, hindsight being what it is. I still maintain they should have done that Sean Owen match at the Rumble. Had they done that, Sean would not have gotten hurt in the casket match at the Rumble. He wouldn't have been backdropped, you know, back first onto the edge of that casket. You know, and who's to say what his injury status would have been? It's not like he wasn't banged up and didn't have a bad back already. He did. But that was the spot that basically cost him the next four and a half years of his career. It, It threw him into an early retirement. You don't do the casket match, he doesn't get hurt. Most likely. I mean you never know, but probably doesn't get hurt. Which means you get to keep him around. Now maybe the people in WWF at the time, the other workers, maybe they didn't want him around. Maybe they were happy to see him go. I'm sure Vince wasn't. Uh Shawn Michaels in The Heart of the Attitude Era would have been very uh would have been very interesting, probably very destructive, honestly. Probably uh not would would not have been good for people like Steve Austin and The Rock if Shawn Michaels was still sort of ruling the roost during the Attitude Era it did open up opportunities for people like Austin and Rock and Foley that and even Triple H that probably would not have been there if Shawn Michaels would have still been around being a dick and doing his thing so um anyway that that was you know the the alternate scenario i wanted to pitch you know as far as Owen in the WrestleMania main event look i like Owen i was i was a fan of his and i just i don't see him in that level, you know, the Mania main event level, I, I just don't see it. I think you do that match at the Rumble, and Sean gets a win over Owen. I think that really would have been the the best role. And that also delayed, what it does is it delays the first match with Kane, because they did Undertaker Kane at that WrestleMania show, so it does delay that. But you know, whatever, you can have Undertaker coming out of the show, uh, feuding with Kane, you know, for the championship for a few months. I mean, you can, you can go any number of ways with it. I think the one thing we can agree on is thank God Steve Austin did come back because where that company would have gone and what shape they would have been in. And if they didn't bring in Mike Tyson and they didn't have Austin versus McMahon, I'm not going to sit here and say there would be no WWE. I know they were in rough shape. They came close to bankruptcy at one point during that period, but It would have been rough, you know. Would they have won the wrestling war? Probably in the end, because of WCW's incompetence. I think the end result probably would have been the same. But would they have reached the heights they did in terms of ratings and all that? I I doubt it. Probably not. So, uh... They should be very lucky that Steve Austin was able to stick around. Andrew in Arkansas. In terms of best matches in WWE, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, WrestleMania 25, and Bret Hart against Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 are at the top of many fans' lists. However, neither was for a title. What do you think is the best singles title match in WWE history? I mean, I I can't sit here and narrow it down all time in the company's history. I'm going to keep this limited to WrestleMania. You mentioned two matches that were on the WrestleMania card, and I think it's, it's a good point. Neither of those matches were for a championship. If I had to throw a third one in there, by the way, uh, maybe even my number three in terms of non-title Great non-title matches of WrestleMania. I think Randy Savage and The Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania Seven in the uh, career-ending match has to be in the conversation. Everything about that match—it was so great. It may well be Warrior's best match of all time. You know, the best match that he ever had. But the match, the post-match, oh, it was so great. So that I would, I would pick that one. But that—that's another non-title one in terms of championship matches. If we do limit it to WrestleMania uh you know i i know a lot of this has to do with just me growing up as a kid having fond memories of the match i remember what a big deal this was at the time and how unique it was to have two baby faces wrestling each other champion against champion title for title you know the big crowd at the sky dome i'm gonna go with hogan warrior at wrestlemania 6 that was a big big match that was an epic match if you were a younger fan watching at the time even, and the match itself, by the way, as a match, even watching it back, it holds up. Because you don't go into it with high expectations, given who's involved. If you're looking at it from like a work rate perspective, which is not what that match was intended for. But it holds up. It's a good match. They tell a good story. There's some near falls in that match. It's a pretty even match most of the way. And I love the finish. I mean, it broke my heart as a Hogan fan back in the day. But you never saw him miss the leg drop. And there he is. He misses the leg drop. And Warrior hits the big splash. And... Um, it was, it was an epic thing to watch, you know, and I would, I would probably go for Hogan Warrior as the, uh, you know, the greatest championship match in WrestleMania history. Now I know a lot of you are going to say you're nuts. Austin Rock at WrestleMania 17. You're not wrong. That's a fine choice. It's just not my personal choice. But I know a lot of you probably would vote for Austin Rock at WrestleMania X7. I know a lot of you probably would say Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Chris Benoit. You know, from WrestleMania 20, which was also an excellent match. Um, there are there's a lot of choices in there. You know, and, and uh, it's a subjective thing, and you wouldn't be wrong. But in my opinion, and I'm looking at it from big, big time main event, both titles on the line, something that we had never seen before, certainly up to that point. Uh, I'm going to go with Hogan Warrior from WrestleMania 6. Uh, Brian from Virginia. What Yokozuna matches that never happened that could have happened would you have liked to have seen? I wouldn't have minded seeing a five-minute match with Yoko against Giant Gonzalez. Just to see how that would work. Brian is clearly a masochist. Uh, also, Yoko's versus Ric Flair would have been interesting. Or even Yoko against Heel Doink. I also don't think Yoko ever faced Razor or Diesel one-on-one. Well, in fact, Brian he wrestled both Razor and Diesel in one-on-one matches. He actually had a steel cage match with Diesel that's on this new... Uh, WWE unreleased matches DVD. It's coming out this Tuesday. Uh, that match sounds positively awful, and I can't wait to see it. (laughs) I just, I have to see how bad this match is. 45 matches, apparently, they have on this thing. I may do a review, uh, of the DVD for the YouTube channel. Uh, it's just, you know, it's times like this I wish they just released these things on the network instead of having to go out and buy a a freaking separate DVD. It's annoying. Um, but yeah, I'm probably going to check that out this week. Anyway, what Yokozuna matches could have happened, uh, that I would have wanted to see. That's a, that's a question I have not gotten before. Yokozuna is not exactly looked at as somebody who had great matches. Uh, although I liked Yokozuna. I actually, not, not at the end. By the end, he was just completely immobile and couldn't do anything. But like when he first came in, like 93 Yokozuna, 94 Yokozuna, uh, maybe more so 93, he was he was good for a big guy, you know, and I, I actually enjoyed, you know, some of the matches he had with Brett. Um, yeah, again, he's not the kind of guy you look at and say, oh, the classic matches that he had. He was just the big guy who was quick on his feet, who played a role that I think worked. And that bonsai, you know, when he set that guy up in the corner and he started going up, especially as he got heavier and heavier... That became an even more devastating finisher. Man, I can't tell you. There was there was one guy, I remember, a job guy. He wrestled on Raw in 93. Okay, so <clears throat> this was early on in his run there. And I wish I could remember what episode it was. It's probably even floating around on YouTube. Um, it probably is, actually. If you go type in, like, Yokozuna kills a jobber or something. But he sat on this one guy. I don't know if this guy like pissed him off or was disrespectful in the back or what the deal was or maybe it was just the maybe he just botched it I don't know but you know usually when he would come down for the bonsai yeah he was a pro he knew how to do it where he you know absorbed most of the impact or, you know would land on his feet first or whatever there was this one guy he just sat right on top of him and just knocked the wind you could see the the air the oxygen just go out of this guy's body. And he just sat on him. And he and he sat on him for a good like 10, 12 seconds. And the guy's like looking up at the referee, like telling the referee, get this guy off of me. And the ref's trying to pull Yokozuna up and he just won't move. That was scary. I mean, if I I just try to envision myself in that situation with a guy that big, literally just coming down on me with all of his weight and not getting up. It's a scary thing. So he must have done something to piss off Yoko. I don't know what he did, but he was a guy that there there weren't very many people like him. And it's really a shame that he you know let his weight spiral out of control and 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 died so young because he was a talented guy. And I think if he was one of those guys who would have just like dropped, I was going to say two hundred pounds, but he was so big by the end. I mean, he was like eight hundred pounds. Realistically, he probably had to drop like four hundred. But, like, imagine a, even a 400-pound Yokozuna or a 450-pound Yokozuna would have still been, like, you know, you know he would have been a force to to be reckoned with. You know, they could have built him up still as a monster, and, and you know, he could have had matches with uh, some of the newer guys that came along in 97 and 98. I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, it, it's a shame. It really is. I guess you could look at Rikishi, in a way, and say that maybe that would have been kind of what Yokozuna could have been like. Uh, I, I, you know, who's, who's to say, but in terms of, uh, oh man, kind of like Yokozuna dream matches, I guess if I had a pick, I'm thinking back to 90 from the 1993 WWF roster, I would go with Shawn Michaels. I know they wrestled on raw in like 95 when Shawn was a baby face, but like a young HBK, I feel like bumping all over the place for Yokozuna probably could have been fun. And we will end with this. Scott from Fresno, California. Buy or sell on two guys I know you really like right now. Chad Gable or Pete Dunn. You know, I don't know, but you just got me really excited about the prospect of a Chad Gable-Pete Dunn match. (laughs) That's all I know. It's like, holy shit. I you know until you I, until I got this question from from uh, from Scott, I never really put two and two together. But you know, I just sort of realized like, wait a minute, Chad Gable and Pete Dunn are under contract right now as we speak to the same company. I have to see this match. <laughs> you got Gable and Dunn. You could do like a U.S. versus U.K. type deal. That would be incredible. I am super high on both these guys. I think they have a lot of potential. As far as buy or sell and who I think uh, I mean has the bigger ceiling or who I think has the most immediate potential to be a big star, I got to buy on Pete Dunn. I got to buy on Pete Dunn and sell on Gable. You know, Gable's doing the tag team thing right now. Uh, it's it's hard to say if Gable will ever be able to break out of the tag team thing. I think it would be a sin for him at some point not to get a shot as a singles guy, you know, wrestling for a U.S. title or something, and then see if he can work his way up. I think he absolutely has the potential to be a big star on the main roster. Uh, they obviously see that in Jason Jordan, who is flopping badly right now in that storyline, and that role they've given him. But, you know, I look at Pete Dunn, and I... I see a guy who can be a top heel on Raw or SmackDown right now, if they wanted him to be. If not the top heel, certainly one of the top three. The one thing they both have working against them is their size. They're not that big, but I think they could overcome that. Guys have overcome that before. Daniel Bryan overcame it, right? So Gable can be, I think, a tremendous singles babyface if they ever get behind him. There's not a doubt in my mind about that, but Dunn just has top heel written all over him. And I hope we start seeing more UK title defenses on those NXT, at least the takeover shows. You know, done done against Gable though. It's the match I never knew I wanted to see so badly until you brought it up. If you have questions for the mailbag, keep emailing me, thesalamonster at gmail.com. I enjoy uh, hearing feedback and input from all you guys. Also, I have a brand new Sound of Gamer video up on the YouTube channel that went up several days ago. It is the first non wrestling gamer that I've done. People seem to enjoy it, so I may do more of them. This is for a new game, just came out for PC uh, via Steam Sonic Mania. If you are a Sonic the Hedgehog fan, if you are a fan of any of the Sonic games, this is the newest installment. It is getting rave reviews. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's about a 15 minute video. I'm playing some of the early levels and just kind of talking about it and you know shooting the breeze. So if you want to check that out, it's up right now on the official Sound of YouTube channel. That is the uh, the latest Sound of Gamer. Please subscribe, by the way, if you are not already subscribed to the channel. Uh, also, you could check out episode two of Swerve Talk with Shane Strickland, who you may know better as Killshot from Lucha Underground. It's up on the High Spots Network. He's got Andrew Everett, Leo Rush, Moose, Desmond Xavier, and of course Montesi, Antoine Moore, all part of the show. Check it out right now. It is available on the High Spots Network. So we will be back with a brand new podcast as usual next Sunday. The work never ends. That'll be episode 512 as we uh, truck along here. We are now, uh, as of this week coming up, we are two months away from our official 10-year anniversary show. It was uh, early November of 2007 when the very first episode of the podcast dropped. Of course, we celebrated episode 500 a few months ago back in June. Now we have the 10-year anniversary coming up in November. It's very exciting. Hopefully all of you will be part of that with me. And a lot of you are responsible for me even getting to 10 years worth of show. So I salute you. Uh, Be well. Stay safe. That especially uh, goes out to all the people who are being affected right now by Hurricane Harvey down south in uh, Texas, Louisiana, any of the surrounding areas. Uh, I've gotten messages from some of you saying that you appreciate listening to the podcast because it allows you to just take your mind off of things. And to that I say, look, if that's if you get anything out of this that makes uh, things a little bit easier for you, then it's worth it for me to be able to do this show. If uh, I can do even just a small part to help uh, take your mind off things, then that's uh, you know that puts a smile on my face. I hope everybody is okay. Uh, again, I, I went through all the the charity stuff and Charity Navigator and all that at the beginning. Go back and listen to that. Uh, I am going to be donating all the money from T-shirt sales this weekend on Pro Wrestling Tees to uh, the Houston Food Bank and the Houston SPCA as well. Whatever amount is going to be higher I'll kick in some money I don't care once I do that I'll probably screenshot it put it online so you guys can see just so you know because you know how people can be so we'll do that in the next few days and uh, that's it so again have yourselves a great week I will see you back here for a brand new podcast next weekend and until then take care guys The good, the bad, and the ugly. The Sala Monster sounds off. Mundo goes to leave, and Taya says, Wait, aren't you gonna put any pants on? He just goes, No time for pants. And he walks off. That also happens to be Randy Orton's philosophy in life. My philosophy, too. See, you don't know if I'm wearing pants right now or not, do you? You can't see. I could be wearing nothing right now for all you know. No time for pants.
0: Solo Monster sounds off.
3: Since 2007, the Solo Monster sounds off. Available at thesolomonster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio,
0: iTunes, and more. Solo Monster sound off.